When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, today Rado Talks your episode 67 of the podcast, and it is the last I'll be podcasting for this calendar year of 2020, and I cannot wait for this year to be over. 2021, hopefully you will deliver on all the promise that 2020 originally offered. Fingers crossed. But enough about all of that. Let's get to talking about games. And after that, we'll talk about non-gamey stuff, whereupon Jen will join us. And as always, folks, if you got any questions, please send them to questions at rotto.com. Because without your questions, I got no show. So uh, bear that in mind. And if you include dog pictures in your emails, Jen will very much appreciate it. And let me know if you're fine with me sharing them to the World Wide Web at doggo. I think we got a couple of new dog pics this episode, although I'm kind of recording out of order, so I haven't quite seen everything yet. We'll see how things evolve. Anyway, though, folks, you've been patient enough, so let's get questioning and answering right after this. Okay. Gaming time, starting off with Chris, who interestingly sent this email both to me, questions at raw.com, and to Tom Vassell. And as far as I know, Tom never replied, and Chris, since you sent a question, I'm replying to it here in the podcast. Although, for all I know, you don't actually listen to the podcast, I should probably reply to the email telling you that I replied here. But anyway, all that out of the way, uh, Chris says, Hey, Tom and Richard, thanks so much for everything you do. It'd be very entertaining if you guys would swap review styles and try to produce a video in the other's preferred style. It'd probably work great if you picked a fun game that you both enjoy that's been out a while. I think it might work as a great way to raise money for the Jack Massel Memorial Fund as well. Want to share the idea during the Corner Corner, but I'm never able to watch it live. Um, and so I thought I'd post it here. Okay, Chris, I think that's a really cool idea. I'd certainly be down for it, you know, especially if it were something that was done to help raise more funds in some way for the Jack Massel Memorial Fund, which, in case people don't know, is a charity that Tom Vassell runs every year. There's fundraising for it, and the proceeds of this charity go to gamers in need. I've always thought it was a very, very wonderful thing that Tom does, and Jen and I, every year for the last few years, we have been happy to donate some of Jen's glass and some of my uh, run-through time. So yeah, I could see doing something like this. It would be interesting to see as well. I think Tom would probably do a okay job. I don't know. I mean, he's got the gift of gab. How good a job would Tom Vassell do? Uh, (coughs) Excuse me. I'm choking on my own spit. (coughs) Yeah, yeah, I'll just pause for a second. Ah! Boy, I have no idea where that came from. Okay. Um, Yeah. So, I mean... I feel like Tom's format would be very easy to do. I'm often very jealous and the, you know the the throughput he can do where I mean he'll just sit down and do like five or six games in one sitting just back to back to back because he's just setting the game up and then just doing a brief summary of the rules and then spending a couple minutes talking about it. 
I could totally rock that. Because uh, some days I regret not having set out doing that way because it's such a fairly simple and clean and, and easy for- format. I think my format is a bit trickier to do. Uh, also be tricky for Tom because I know when he films, he stands. So I can't imagine... Oh, it'd be tricky to basically do a run-through standing for, you know, an hour and a half. But... Who knows? Uh, I think it's a cool idea. I'd certainly be up for it if Tom were. So, Chris, you got to seek Tom out uh, on that topic. But let's move on to Wally. Wally says, have... Or, oh, oh, actually, he says several things. Hold on a second. Let me go on ahead and take a look at this. As always, I love everything, and especially love you constantly fine-tune your show, except for one thing I don't love. The new ads policy. Mid-video ads on YouTube. As a Patreon, I know I can see your ad free on the Patreon site, but sometimes as I go back and watch older vids, I notice the new ads policy. And man, it's frustrating to watch. I also heard on the channel of John Gets Game that YouTube itself pushed this new policy on YouTube channels, claiming that the ad revenue would triple. And John Gets Game stated the ad, his ad revenue tripled not at all. So he was thinking to cut the mid uh, vid ads. I know that you held back for a long time to add ads in your YouTube vids. So this is a huge step further. Can you give your view on the new ads policy. I will admit, I was a bit surprised like everybody else. Strictly speaking, none of us should have been surprised because before YouTube uh, made this change and just suddenly turned mid-ads onto everything in existence, we all did get an email notice that kind of mentioned in the small print, hey, by the way, we're going to be doing this with a rollout just so you know, here's the little thing you can do to make sure it doesn't happen if you want to, but no one's ever going to notice this. And so suddenly it just turned on and most people had no idea they even had the opportunity to opt out, um, which is behind the scenes. Baseball doesn't really matter. But um, so here's the deal. They all turned on. And um, I don't know if you know, I have a guy who is now helping me run the channel. Uh, Andy, or Andrew, he prefers. He is my channel manager. And he now, uh, he's the one who is responsible for bringing Ryan and Shay onto the channel. You know, he scouted uh, them as new talent and, uh, you know, and, and all of that. And he handles a lot of the publisher interfacing side, basically so I can just focus on just playing the games and filming them and not have to deal with the business of Rado. And I've got to say, I'm really happy to have him on because he has made my life a lot easier and I'm definitely happy to be paying uh, for his services. So anyway, his attitude was, what the heck, give it a try. Just leave him on for a month and see how it works. And I did, and my revenue more than doubled. It just instantly, within a month. And so I was like, wow. I I don't know what's going on with John Gitz Games. Maybe he didn't do it right because Andy did go out and do some research about them to find out the best way to have them be most effective. I mean, this is what he does. He tries to... uh, he tries to find ways to make more money for me for running Rotto Runs Through. And as a result, he gets more money, um, you know, the more money I am making. So, you know, he kind of really, uh, just try for a month. You can turn them off instantly, because you can. Uh, a lot of people don't realize this either. You can instantly turn them on or off for all channels. Some people think, oh, you got to do it one at a time on every, but that's not the case. You can batch turn them on or off. So, um, he said try it. I tried it. I more than doubled my income. And then I had to think, well... Yeah, that's a reason to keep this going uh, because it was a sizable bit. Now, I did turn them off because a lot of people were complaining. And then, but there's like this whole thread on Board Game Geek where people were talking about it. And Paolo, the guy who does my, um, 
uh, YouTube goof checks, uh, I'm sure everybody knows who Paulo is, he pointed out the uh, suggestion of, hey, if they're bringing in that much more cash, uh, why not just do what I'm doing now? Paulo had the suggestion of saying that uh, you know backers on Patreon for a few days or sometimes even a few weeks or even a few months can watch them ad-free. And it's only when I made the videos live, because I was already doing that anyway, allowing uh, Patreon backers to see stuff early. Um, and why not make them ad-free during that time? So I turned them off for about a month and there was a lot of back and forth discussion about it. And here's what I ultimately did. Because here's the deal. I already pay YouTube Premium, which is the best $16 a month I spend. Although, if I just had a single, I think it's like 12 bucks for just never seeing ads. But I pay the family thing, which I think is 16 bucks. So the Jen, me, mom, and several other people, I think five, so I've actually, uh, uh, you know, other folks as well get to piggyback off my premium. They never have to see ads. And I think, like I said, it's the best money I spend every month because one, I never see ads. And two, I know that every video I watch is getting uh, more money than if I if they were getting ad revenue from me watching. And I appreciate all the work that all the other channels do to give me entertainment for free. So I figure the least I can do is... Uh, I mean, because I, I can see off of the, the income I make off of YouTube, it's something like... Uh, 15 or 20% of all the ad rev- of all the revenue I get from YouTube is from people with premium. And it's a tiny, tiny proportion of users on YouTube who actually pay the premium. And yet it's a big proportion of my viewers. So that tells me I am making a lot more money off of a premium viewer watching my videos than I am off of a viewer who, d- who doesn't pay YouTube premium and just sees the ads. Right. So I figure, well... I want to give back to all the channels I watch, so I I watch it. And so the thing is, I had no idea how bad the ads were. I just knew, hey. But I had some people saying, yeah, in this 10-minute video, there were five ads. Now remember, when this thing got turned on, YouTube turned it on and turned on an auto-ad generator. Which means you know they have some algorithm they use to scan all the videos and look for places using their AI as best they can look for places that would be appropriate for ads. And I looked at a couple that they'd done, and I thought, wow, this is really sharp. Here in this, uh, you know, this forty-minute video, they put an ad over here and they put an ad over here, and those were really good spots. And I didn't think it was that bad. But then people started complaining about how annoying it was in a 10-minute video to have five ads. Uh, some of the months skip. I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, that's totally horrible. So anyway, I turned it off. After the month, and we saw it more than doubled the income. And um, these days, by the way, it's more than triple where I was a year ago. But we'll come back to that as we move forward. Uh, so I turned them off because that was absolutely horrible. Uh, but then everybody started talking about this on Board Game Geek. And Paulo had the suggestion. I'm like, okay, tell you what I'm going to do. For a day... I'm going to do all my normal YouTube watching that I do anyway. Because I watch, I probably watch two or three hours of YouTube video every day when it boils right down to it. Um, Although I should say, I watch all of that at 2x speed. So I probably only watch two hours, but I get four hours or sometimes even more, because sometimes I watch at 3x speed, of worth of content. So I, I, I consume a ton of YouTube every day. Lots of board game stuff, lots of news stuff, lots of pop culture stuff, uh, lots of art stuff, lots of comedy, all kinds of great stuff. And I love it, and it's so worth the money I spend for a premium. But anyway, so I turned it off. I basically just watched an inco- you know, I logged out and just watched all the stuff I was going to watch. And I was shocked. There's ads everywhere. 
It wasn't just me. All these stations that I, all these channels I'm watching just have tons of ads, tons and tons and tons of ads. And I thought, well, geez, I more than doubled my income to, um, to, to have these ads on. And, uh, not doing income. Anybody who comes on YouTube, you know, just because I don't, if they watch anything else, they're going to see ads every place. And it just made me feel kind of stupid saying, I'm going to throw all this money away um, to be one of 1% of channels that don't have just tons and tons and tons of ads all the time. And like, that just doesn't, that seems ridiculous. Um, you know, and like I said, Andrew was suggesting you could do it. And so um, I went a little bit further and took a look for for the folks who had complained, yeah, this was really annoying. And I found something really weird. The auto algorithm that it was using to put ads in has a very hard time trying to parse my videos because, as you know, I never stop talking. There are very rarely breaks. And since I film in one unbroken cut with nonstop stream of consciousness, the AI very rarely found places to actually insert stuff. But in my final thoughts videos, and interestingly, in the first hour of my podcast, because I don't know if you knew, you can listen, you can uh, basically consume this podcast on YouTube if you'd rather than on your podcast listening device or platform or whatever. And for some reason, in some videos, it would put in just an insane, ridiculous amount of, you know, another ad every two minutes. And like, okay, this is terrible. So here's the problem. The very few people who complained were reasonably complaining because it was it was cramming, you know, ads every two to five minutes, and that was super annoying. And uh, so... Uh, what I decided to do ultimately was go with Paulo's suggestion of anybody who supports the show on Patreon can watch the videos for a few days to a few weeks early with no ads. And then when the video goes live, I would manually put the ads in so that the AI wasn't putting them in every two minutes and being super annoying. So the general uh, guideline I follow is, and this was something Andy did some research, the most impactful way to put ads in is to have one in the first four to five minutes. Because... Uh, there's a huge drop-off. Most people watch the first two or three minutes. By the five-minute mark, on most videos, you've already lost half your audience. Um, probably, maybe even more. And um, and then by you know the seven-minute mark, you're down to 20% of your audience. So, I mean, he actually suggested I should put the ad in the first two minutes when I've still probably got 80% of the audience. But I thought, no, 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 that's just too annoying. So I've been, on average, putting them around the four or five-minute mark when I've still got about 50% of the audience still seeing them. And then, so I put one in around five minutes. Then I put one in at uh, usually around a half an hour and then one at around an hour if the video goes that long. So most videos have two or three, sometimes four, because sometimes my videos are upwards of two hours long. Um, but anyway, so I put a few in. I, I did the thing so the Patreon viewers who support the show could view without ads. And I turned them back on with that. And in all honesty, I felt a lot better about that um, because after having followed um, Andy's suggestions, I now am making almost, not quite triple, what I was making a year ago. And I think a big part of it is because of that one ad that comes in at the four-minute mark that I, I basically... And here's the deal. I try to put them in in natural places where there is kind of a break. or Actually, I kind of have fun with it. I, I kind of put them in where there's cliffhangers. And like, oh, what happened? Oh, now we got to watch an ad. And then we get back to... you know, uh, 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 And I, I honestly... I kind of have fun doing it, finding good little, interesting little uh, hold-off spaces. Now, I'm not quite sure, Wally. Um, well, one thing is, 
Oh, uh, I, I turned on mid-roll ads only um, for ads in 2020 because I did this back in May or June. So I went back and manually put mid-roll ads in for everything that's done in 2020. Anything prior to 2020 has no mid-roll ads because I just could... Or maybe a couple of top tens do, I think. Because I started going deeper and I'm like, ah, this takes forever. You know, let's just say we start in 2020. Previous to 2020, there's no mid-roll ads. There might be a couple here or there. But I turned off the auto-generated ones because they were super annoying. And like I said, I, I just you know got the month of November's uh, analytics. And yeah, I made more than triple what I did. Uh, or, you know, or, was it? No, 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 not quite. About about two and a half times more than I was a year ago, or even six months prior. And you know, considering the fact that um, you know, ever since I started wearing Black Lives Matter T-shirts, my subscriber base has fallen, uh, or my my subscriber growth has definitely slowed down. Because believe me, I hear about it every day. A lot of people are tuning out because they do not want to be reminded that Black Lives Matters by me wearing a T-shirt, and so. Uh, and you know, and that was a problem. Living in America, having to pay the insanely high cost for insurance that we do, uh, the insurance that we can't even afford to use. Uh, you know, living with my mom, having to take on extra expenses for that, having to pay more in just regular income tax than we did. All this stuff combined means our cost of living in America is significantly more uh, for a number of reasons. And so it really felt like the right thing to do, especially considering the fact that the rest of YouTube is doing it. And to be one. One of the stalwart holdouts, I'm only hurting myself. Because anybody who watches my channel and doesn't see ads, well, you're going to see ads on all the other channels anyway. So it just made no sense in, in, in lieu of the fact that there I was leaving so much money on the table. And I'll be honest, it's money that I need. So I turned them back on, gave hardcore fans who really support the show the opportunity to skip out of them. And, uh, and that's where it is right now. And I'm sorry you don't like them. If you don't like them, there are so many ways to get around them. If you're watching on a PC, you know, there's ad blockers. There's entire browsers. I think the Brave browser uh, has built-in ad blocking so you don't see them. But I appreciate you might be watching them on a smart TV or a Roku or a PlayStation 4 or 5. And, you know, there's no ways to skip ads there. And, you know, I apologize for that. Oh, I, I skipped a whole thing. So I went for a day... And I was shocked how many other channels have ads. And then I was shocked how much they didn't bother me. They really didn't. If they were done well, if they were put in at appropriate times, um, you know, not just in the middle of sentences and stuff like that, in general, most of them, you can click skip, you can skip them in five seconds. Most of them are 10 seconds long. And it really didn't bother me. After I got over, you know, the initial shock of how common they were, I found, yeah. This really isn't too bad, especially because for the most part they were targeted at me anyway, and I didn't. Sometimes I actually watched them all the way through. So all of that stuff combined is what went into my decision to say, "Yeah, fine, I'll turn them on. I'll try to be a little bit. I'll, I'll give you an option to opt out, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to put them in good places. And in the meantime, I will not quite triple my income. So I can confirm that if John didn't see that, John was doing them wrong. Um, right. Anyway. <clears throat> and 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 I apologize if they bother you. I'm I'm sorry about that. I again can only strongly recommend YouTube Premium is well worth the to me reasonable amount. I think if you're just going to do it for yourself, it's something like twelve bucks a month. And if you're anything like me and you watch, you know, dozens if not hundreds of hours of YouTube video, you know what? You'll be doing all those channels a big favor. 
if and you'd be doing yourself a favor because you won't have to see those ads. And if you watch on a mobile device, you'll be able to minimize and have them play in the background and other features as well. Uh, anyway, though, so that was that. Next question from Wally. Have I ever thought about asking money from publishers to be with their game in the background? The games are visible on yourselves in the background. Spoiler alert! The re- One of the reasons I turned all my boxes facing camera as I do now is because Andy or Andrew suggested, hey, you know what? Uh, you might be able to get publishers to pay to have your backgrounds. Because I know Tom Vassell does it. You know they, they do it on the Dice Tower. Man vs. Meeple does it. Game Boy Geek does it. Probably other channels that I don't know about also get paid to just say, oh, we're not uh, endorsing the games. We just have them hanging on our shelves. And so there's two reasons I did it. To be honest, um, Andrew said, hey, why don't you try this? I'm like, I don't know. I don't feel comfortable with this. But um, then I very quickly realized, you know what? If I turn them all around, I can get another 30% of storage space on my shelves because I'm just wasting all this empty space. Um, Because behind every one of those boxes is a shelf full of games. And so it actually um, was a help for me to store them this way. And then on top of that, there's the potential. Now, to date... I don't believe Andrew has ever broached that, uh, and no publisher has ever asked. In case there's any publishers listening, yeah, um, we haven't taken that step because you know we're, we're baby stepping a bunch of stuff. Um, I, the reason I started doing Instagram images because Andrew said, "You know what? Everybody else does Instagram. If all it takes you is a second to take a picture of the of the game after you finish playing it and then post it, why not?" I'm like, "Okay, I'll give it a try." And that's because, of course, a lot of people on Instagram they do their own stuff, but then they also have um, people who have paid to put images in your Instagram feed. And so, not that I'm getting that, but I have that opportunity. So Andrew was all about, "Hey, let's just uh, just if you change a couple of things that don't really make any more work for you, it gives the potential." And so. That's something that might happen in the future, but it hasn't happened yet. All righty. Let's see. Talking about John Gitt's game, he's the reviewer that gives me the most Rado-like feel. Passioned when the game switches on, but otherwise very calm, chill, down-to-earth, engaged, open. And also his format, of course, has a lot of similarities. He does playthroughs. Uh, For folks who don't know, yes, John Gitt's game has a great channel. Uh, um, Anyway, seems to me that you would get along and work well together. Do you watch the channel, John Gets Game? Have you ever been in contact with him? Any chance of doing stuff together in the future? Uh, Yeah, I subscribe to John. I do watch his stuff. Unfortunately, and this is true for a lot of the channels I subscribe to, often, by the time he covers a game, it's something I've already played. But in the you know, every once in a while, he gets to something ahead of me. And this has actually happened quite a bit this year because he's been playing uh, digital implementations of the game and he's gone on ahead and imported some German games that I'm waiting for a publisher to send me English copies of. So I'm always happy to watch his stuff. Um, I have... It's interesting. I have to watch... T- to my taste, he talks way too slowly. Maybe he's a little too calm and chill and measured. Uh, I have to watch him at almost 2.5 speed. Um, which is... Uh, which uh, yeah, He's one of the people I will uh, watch at the highest speed on YouTube. But he speaks really clearly and eloquently, so I can still make him out very easily at 2.5. So I do occasionally watch him. And um, we've met each other at conventions... Uh, we've run into each other and said hi. But no, we've never really had any... Um, I, there's never really been any discussion about doing any kind of collaboration or stuff. I mean, you may have noticed, I have done some collaborations this year on Top Tens. And I'll be honest, I'll come out and say it. I was focusing primarily, uh, in, in, in the wake of 
of the explosion of Black Lives Matter activity and me starting to try to represent more, I've been doing more and more collaborations. I've been trying to do it with, um, you know, with uh, people of color and um, and women specifically because. No offense to John. I think he's great. There are more than enough white dudes covering board games. We have this market cornered, and I decided this year I really wanted to try to um, you know, elevate something other than yet more white dudes. Um, so I have actually had several channels that I do like, not John, but other ones saying, hey, I, mean, I see you've been doing some top 10 crossovers. Could I jump in? I was like, you know what? Maybe at some point in the future, but these days I'm really trying to elevate uh, people of color and uh, female gamers to try to have more diversity in the board game video sphere. So that's really what I've been focusing on. In fact, this month, the month of December, I'm planning on doing a crossover with Jeremy Howard, uh, if that works out. We'll see. Uh, But anyway, that's kind of where I am right now. But I I think John is great. Uh, Really love his stuff. Love his passion. You know, he's very sharp. I... I'm surprised. Ever since he started doing a uh, you know a summary show, kind of like my roundups, so I watch those again at 2.5 speed, and I'm surprised how often I vehemently disagree with some of his choices. But I still think he's a very sharp guy. All righty, um, let's see what else. How would you evaluate the collaboration with Shay and Ryan? Any thoughts looking back on the first few months? How do you see it evolve in the future? I think they're great. Although, in all honesty. That's something Andrew takes care of. Uh, like I said, I mean, I, I I chat with them a little bit. The the every time Shay puts up a video, I I watch it really quick to give some feedback. But as time has gone on, I've had less and less feedback with every single one. It's gotten to the point where the last couple he did, I'm like, okay, I got nothing to say. You've nailed this. You're better at this than I am now, and I truly do believe that. I mean, the way that Shay does the left brain right brain thing. Which I, I is just so brilliant. I have thought about copying him and bringing that into mind. But in all honesty, I can appreciate just how much extra work he's making for himself. Mental load, trying to you know keep uh, you know keep that schism going. And I I'm afraid if I tried it, I would literally melt down and explode. And I, I think he's doing just as good a job as me as having passionate, upbeat, uh, and engaging. Uh, you know, demonstrations of how the game works. And so that's been fantastic. But like I said, I have have very little interactions with him other than giving him a little bit of feedback. Uh, Andrew handles all the rest of it, you know, paying him and, and, you know, getting jobs for him and stuff like that. And the same thing is true with Ryan. Um, Ryan is, actually it was interesting, uh, Ryan knew Andrew before Andrew came on. And when Andrew was just a guy I knew before he was working with me, he's the one who convinced me to do the Tiny Towns crossover with Ryan. Because uh, he was a friend of Ryan and just wanted to help out. I'm like, okay, yeah, I guess I'll do this. And then cut to a year later, now Andrew's my channel manager. He said, well, you know, that was a good crossover. How about if Ryan comes on and does uh, rules videos? Now, I thought he'd come on and do run-throughs as well. Or if he was going to do rules videos, he'd do them different than his own style. And we talked about that a bit. But ultimately, he's got his way he likes to do things. So... We just stuck with that, and honestly, no offense to Rodney Smith or Paul Grogan or you know, I mean, or, or John gets games for that matter. I personally do think, for my tastes, for my brain, Ryan does a better job of rules run-throughs of, of how to plays of everybody in the market, and I've watched everybody's style. Um, you know, cardboard Rhino. There's so many people doing it out there now, but Ryan's has just the right focus on humor 
And uh, I, I find him to be very, very personable in a really kind of casual, charming way. I love the fact that he saves the setup to the end. Uh, he talks about it how he just wants to get to the fun immediately. Uh, and uh, so anyway, he does his videos. I want. He always insists. He wants me to give him feedback. Shay's pretty relaxed. Um, he'll take it if I give it to him, and he's ready to just move on to the next thing. But you know, Ryan's like, I just put one up. Let me give me your thoughts, and so I give him my thoughts. But I'm like, dude, you do this so well. What I mean, you do, you don't need this for me. And you know, and his level of polish of presentation is so amazing. He really doesn't belong on my channel. That's why for him, just to try and make him fit in a little bit more, we do the, hey everybody, today is Rattle Rules Run Through with Ryan. Ryan, tell us about the thing. We did the little bumpers just so it wouldn't feel like, am I even on the right channel? This is such a high quality production compared to what I normally see on Rotto Runs Through. But yeah, he's great, and and I love working with him. Um, he doesn't get quite as many. I at the end of the day, you know, there are already established players. You know, Paul Grogan does a great job. Rodney Smith is king of the hill, and there have been people who are you know, and John is another one who have been doing you know these kind of uh, more polished and slick how-to-play videos. Ryan's a relative newcomer, and I hope... I mean, because he's still running his own channel as well. Uh, and I, I hope, um, you know, him... And this is true for Shay. I, I think his uh, RTFM channel is phenomenal. And, yeah, I mean, I hope coming on my channel, besides the fact that they're getting paid very well, um, significantly higher than other channels, which I won't go into particulars, but I, I really wanted to make sure they were... I mean, they're doing a great job. I want them to be pretty much making as much as I do. And um, oh, I, 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 there's a slight premium if you get me instead of Shay, if you're a publisher. But still, I wanted to pay really, really well. And um, and so we are. And I think, I think they're happy. I think they're great. And I would like to grow. The biggest problem we have is, um, you know, there are fewer people even think about me or think about Ryan. So I hopefully over time, more and more people will think about Ryan and, hey, Arado Rules Run Through, which is kind of a new thing. And so he'll start getting more business. Uh, right now, he's got, I think he's done like six or seven over the over the last half year, it's okay. He's averaging one a month, whereas Shay's averaging right now, I think, about two or three run-throughs. The problem is, we put to publishers, when they come saying, hey, we got a Kickstarter we want to cover, uh, everybody wants me to do it. And um, and so we, have, we charge a premium for me so that Shay is more attractive. Um, uh, you know, Basically, we, we've raised my rates, and we're now, for Shay, charging what I charged Last year, my rates have gone up. Shay is now what mine was. And so you can get a phenomenal run-through with Shay uh, and save quite a bit of cash, or you can get one from me, if it's a game that we both want to cover. Now, of course, the great thing about Shay is he wants to cover so many games that I'm not interested in because of because he's much more of an omni-gamer than me. But you'd be surprised. There are still a lot of games that we're both wanting to do. And more often than not, publishers, they would prefer to go with me. And I think it's ridiculous. They'll save a lot of cash. I think uh, he's like 30% less than me, something like that. I forget. I'd have to look. Like I said, Andrew covers all of this stuff. Um, and he gets almost just as many views as I do. So it's ridiculous where every time a publisher says, no, we got to have Rotto, Shay's nice and all, and hopefully that will change over time. And if it does, if it gets to the point where um, you know, you know, publishers aren't just going, oh, you can't have Rotto, we can't have anything, we'll just we'll walk. Um, I, I hope that changes because I have been, I, it's been so great with Shay, I do want to bring other people in to be doing what Shay does as well. Or other stuff. Um, uh, you know, w there's one 
person who has appeared a few times on the channel. We are trying to work something out with him right now. Uh, spoiler alert, I won't say who. I don't know if I should, but you know, that's still an ongoing discussion. And there's actually a, uh, a relatively new uh, female, or a, a lady, uh, uh, who's been doing um, run-throughs. She has a very special niche. Uh, she only started within the last year, and I think she's phenomenal. We haven't reached out to her yet um, because Andrew says, "Well, let's just wait a little bit, see if she has staying power." Because Andrew doesn't want uh, somebody who starts who just you know kind of craps out. Wants some only folks who have really shown they are committed to going the long run. But anyway, I think she's great. I've mentioned her, and Andrew thinks she's great too. And I just saw another channel last night uh, that I learned about that I think is great too. So. Right now, it's just me, Ryan, and Shay, but I really would like to expand beyond that. But it doesn't make much sense to do that right now until we can train publishers to recognize that you know, just being on the channel with a Rotto-style run-through, which is to say it's all about gameplay, all about deep dives into the decision-making, uh, you know, it's fast, it's charming and charismatic, and it's really designed to let the game present itself. Uh, um... If we can get them comfortable with somebody besides me doing that on my channel, because, hey, it saves them money, and they get just as many views, and it's just as impactful for them, then I think we'll be in a position where other folks can come on and go through kind of like a little bit of rotto training, which I had to do with Shay. Uh, Shay had to do a couple of test runs, and I gave him tons of feedback until he finally nailed it, and now we're to the point where, oh, it's just it's just butter. I mean, and I'm so enjoying it. Every time I, I get to watch one of Shay's videos, it's like I can get to understand why everybody likes my videos. Because I really enjoy his videos. I mean, he has almost convinced me on games that I knew I wasn't interested in. And I could still tell I'm not interested. But, I mean, yeah, he does a great job. He's fantastic. And I would like to expand more. Definitely. But there's got to be the work for it. Um, right. Okay. Do you... Uh, do, 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 do. How do you feel about the canceling of Plunderous? Uh, can you see where it went wrong and how to fix it? Is this going to launch again? Yes. Uh, definitely there were a few things that we identified that were big problems. Um, one was just the all-in-one, hey, look, here's just this one backer pledge. It was really important, and most other projects do this. Hey, here's the all-in pledge, which was the only thing Plunderous has, but here's the lower-cost one for people who want to be more cost-conscious and feel like they're getting a bargain. And, um, you know, and that exists, and some people go for it, but the existence of it makes people much more comfortable with going for the full one when they can see, oh, I'm getting so much more for this extra premium cost. We just offered the premium cost without the, uh, the non-premium alternative, and that was a big problem. The presentation of the web page definitely had problems, too. Um, I, you know, it did not showcase the Miko's art which is phenomenal. He's one of my favorite. He is my favorite artist working in board games. Uh, everything seems small. We didn't showcase the breadth and scope. I mean, the game is ginormous. It's a, a real. Although if you play as a two-player game, it, it shrinks down enough to where you can still play. But I mean, it's a big game. You get a ton of stuff with multi-layer tiles that are gigantic and miniatures and all kinds of stuff. But the way it was presented made everything seem very small and made people say, "I'm paying this much for that." I don't feel like I'm getting much more out of that than a ticket to ride box. And that was just bad presentation on our part. And then another thing, we always knew there was going to be a pushback um, because some people were not going to be happy with an epic long length game. And we, you know, the game was originally intended to be a Twilight Imperium style. Hey, you sit down all day, it's a six to eight hour game, depending on the player count. We had already cut it back um, before we ran the Kickstarter because we knew that was going to be a tough 
a thing. And so we figured getting down to, I think he went from two hours per player or like you know an hour and 45 minutes to player to, I forget, like an hour and a half or an hour and 15 minutes per player. And I mean, I'm sure that made it more palatable. But these days, you know, quite frankly, the reality is if Twilight Imperium had never existed and next week it went on Kickstarter with no background, no history to it, and I said, hey, look, here's this epic space opera game that lasts for nine hours, it would probably crash and burn too. We thought, hey, there's an audience for that. And, um, you know, I mean, Andrew took, by the way, I should say, Andrew, my my channel manager, is also the designer on Plunderous, in case, I mean, I don't have two Andrews in my life. Anyway, Andrew had um, taken all that into account. There was an assumption that there was enough of an interest, and there wasn't. So uh, he uh, and I, mostly him, but with, I mean, I'm still giving him a couple hours every week of doing feedback, have, are working now to get it down to like 45 minutes a player without sacrificing the game. Just basically creating a game that speeds up, that accelerates quicker, because the original game was an epic game where you start out with nothing and slow you build this epic empire. Now, you still build up the empire. It's just... Uh, what would have taken you, you know, four rounds in the original game, now you could get in in, in a couple of rounds, kind of a thing. It just uh, you know, an acceleration of mode. And quite frankly, as far as I'm concerned, it's made the game better. I enjoy the competitive game more as a result. And I think when it comes back, and I, I'm pretty sure he's going to be able to claim 45 minutes per player. That's going to make it a lot more. Tra- he might even. He, we're still talking about some stuff, um, and we'll see. We'll see. And then, oh, and then the last problem was burying the co-op solo mode. Because the intent was, it's called the Reveille expansion, and it would come halfway through the campaign. We blow the horn, the Reveille comes out, and here's Arado runs through with the co-op game. That was a huge mistake. That video should have been there from day one. Because it's not like people had the option to opt out. That was part of the game. That's how we're going to have the lower version. You can get the game without Reveille. And without... Oh, by the way, in this meantime, he's done a whole other little expansion. Which I, I'm sorry we're not supposed to talk about this. But that's um, so cool. So you now have a version of the game. You've you still got the version that we printed with actually even more content now. Um, but now there's the uh, lower one where the... Uh, the, the the co-op and solo mode isn't there. Uh, being able to play five or six is now a separate expansion, so there's just less resource or you know fewer components in the box as a four-player game, so you can have the lower price one. So, long story short, I've I've spoken way too long on this. There's a bunch of things that we identified as problematic. Never mind the fact that we came out at the worst possible time. We were going up against one, I forget which one it was now. One of the behemoths that just got completely devoured all attention. So, the intent is to launch early next year um, and launch with the solo and co-op on display with alternate pricing schemes, with a better overall presentation that really makes clear the grand scale and scope of the game. And um, also trying to pick a week where there isn't some big monster devourer of of, uh, attention that makes it hard to get anybody noticing what's going on. So that's the plan. Uh, I'm sure you'll hear more as time goes on. Uh, you know, he's still working on it, and every once in a while... I mean, gosh, what did we just do the other day? Oh, man. Because we we're also still doing some back and forth on the co-op, and a lot of times the co-op ideas make their way back into the original competitive game. And I don't know if it's going to work, 
But I pitched him on an alternate idea for the way the uh, the economy, the market economy, could work. Because the, the the one that's in the base game was great. It was totally fine, worked really well. But he's always saying, I've always wanted to be less random and more player-driven. And so I pitched him something that is kind of based on... Uh, I won't say... Uh, it's based on CO2. Um, and uh, you know, it blew his mind. And he's trying to see if that will work. And if that works, it's... Um, you know, don't quote me, folks, but it might be that uh, Plunderous is the first 5X game because we basically found another X. Um, we'll see. It may or may not happen, but I'm just having a fun time working with him. He does all the work. Every once in a while, I have to give him a couple of hours of feedback, and then I give him some new ideas, and then he goes, it's 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 a great partnership. I'm having a lot of fun doing it. And that's where Plunderous is at the moment. And thanks for the questions, Wally. Okay. Andrea. Hello. Let's see. Oh, we've got some more questions, it looks like. Morality should not derive from the law, so I'm betting, Andrea, you're the one who keeps wanting to talk about Tabletopia. Or not Tabletop Simulator, aren't you? Let's go. All righty. Yep, replying to statements, clarifying further. Um, My opinion is morality should not derive from the law. It, uh, It has never been convincing to me to say that since something has violated a law, then uh, that person has acted immorally. On the other hand, there are plenty of examples of perfectly legal behavior that I find deeply immoral. Um, Yeah, okay. I I, I don't have a problem with that uh, as a general mission statement. Yes, I am am vehemently opposed to uh, consensual crimes. That's always... I, you know, drug laws, anti-prostitution laws, and, and whatnot. Um, I, I, I'm not fond of that kind of stuff either. Anyway, I've never argued that publishing a mod with all the art and original tool, uh, rules on TETS is legal, but being illegal doesn't make it immoral. Well, then we disagree, because I think it's immoral to do it without the express consent of the person who created it. You are stealing from them. And stealing, theft is immoral. Regardless of whether it's legal or illegal, theft is immoral. And taking all the work that somebody else has done and repurposing it without at least asking is implicitly immoral. And that's what the tabletop simulator um, platform allows for. And I believe the developers of the tabletop simulator platform are, by creating a platform that allows and in fact encourages immoral theft of copyright material, then they have they are they themselves have acted immorally because all it takes they could have done the simplest the simplest of gatekeeping saying look you can't um, post this on this platform unless you show you've got authorization from the author that's it Board Game Geek does this successfully Board Game Geek says I cannot I have the full PDF of the rules for this game that everybody would like to read I upload to Board Game Geek Board Game Geek says show us your proof that the publisher allowed this. And I don't have it. And they say, we won't publish it then. And I go and get the proof. I get the uh, authorization. I've done this several times over the years. And I say, look, here's my email from the uh, marketing department. They say, okay, cool. We'll set it. That's all TTS had to do. They refused to do it. They are acting. um, I don't know if they're acting illegally or not. I don't care. They are acting immorally as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, let's continue. All right, if you grow marijuana, immoral, right. I mean, we, we agree on this. I All right, anyway, so to summarize, I don't necessarily agree about the uh, legal uh, legality of mods on TTS. Honestly, the legality is immaterial to me. The morality on display is what the problem is. You don't even disagree, uh, I don't even agree with you about the morality of the TTS behavior. Okay, then we're great. However, I disagree with you when you say that it is immoral since it violates copyright or because it is stealing. Then we can agree to disagree 
Andrea, you can write again next month, but you're not going to change my mind because it's not a matter of opinion. If you steal from me, you are acting immorally. That's it. There's no gray area there. Um, and I gave examples. I could give more examples. You, I mean, I, I, at the time, it wasn't the best one. What was it? Oh, last time we talked about this, it was, um, what's, why is it immoral for you, while I'm taking a nap in the afternoon, to sneak into my house because I left the back door unlocked, find my car keys, and then go drive around town doing, um, uh, doing uh, what do you call it, uh, errands, but then you return my car with a filled up tank of gas. And I, I didn't even, um, you know, and you put the keys back and you walk away. You are immoral. You stole from me. Um, and you should not have done that. There's no toys about it. There's no gray area here, man. You're just wrong. But anyway, um, and you know, by stealing, I mean a concrete financial loss of one part linked. Right. And again, that has, I don't, I have already submitted to you, Andrea, that it doesn't matter whether the existence of an unauthorized mod on Tabletop Simulator has a positive or negative net impact on the bottom line of the publisher. That's immaterial. And that's why I use the example of, yeah, it doesn't matter whether you refilled my gas tank after you stole my car and went on a joyride and then returned it. You still stole my car. It doesn't matter whether um, you know you you, you, uh, you know, that it was illegal and immoral, and that's what's happening on TTS. And we're gonna have to disagree on this. We can keep going back and forth on this, but it's 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 very black and white what's happening here. Anyway, I hope it's clear there isn't any antagonists. Oh yeah, no, no, of course not. I mean, this is all hypothetical stuff because it's not like TTS is gonna do the right thing. I, I think they've proven that pretty definitively right now, and it's not like anybody in the industry besides me even cares about this. But um, you keep bringing it up, so I keep answering. Because folks, if you send questions to questions at rao.com, I will answer them. Oh yes. All right. Um, so, and then he ends. I'm writing this on November third as a distant observer, and I hope it will be remembered as a happy day. And yes, I your hopes were granted. It's a happy time. Looking forward to 2021, baby. All right. Let's move on to Nathan. I am coming to you for help. As to, I'm coming to you for help as Tom V could not answer the question. There was, he put V in a period. I thought that was the end of the sentence. All right. So Tom Vassell could not answer this question a couple months ago. He answered with, uh, mini games hide the math. All right. So I'm aware of this. It's not what I'm looking for as an answer. So what is your question, Nathan? Can you help me find examples of games that do not use numbers as a way to resolve? I'm trying to avoid my number is higher so I win situation. I'd greatly appreciate solid examples of any system and board games other than those listed below. Oh, good, you have examples. Duel of Ages, um, DOA2, Dice Roll Matrix, Card Draw. I don't know what that is. I've not played DOA2 or Duel of Ages. Memoir 44, I have played that. Commands and Colors. Shogun. Cube Tower. Any game with dexterity for combat. Dude, those games have numbers. Shogun Cube Tower is numbers. It's um, it's the number of cubes that come out, and if I have more cubes than you, I win. The that that game is not hiding the numbers at all. I'm not quite sure how how you would think it does. At the end of the day, it's all numbers. Um, if you can provide a few examples, I'd be most grateful. Love the show. Keep up the good work, Nate. Right. So unfortunately, 
any game with dexterity for combat. So clearly you're, you're focusing on combat here. Um, but even a dexterity game for combat is still numbers. It's the number of times I hit you. Or the number of times you hit me. It's still numbers. It's all numbers. The universe is numbers. It's why there's you always see that trope in movies where the mathematician says, oh, the beautiful equation that, you know, I mean, n- numbers are everything. What is a game? Uh, I mean, you could, t- you could talk about race games where everybody's trying to cross a finish line. And, you know, that's, but those are numbers because whoever finished it first, um, basically, if you break down what they did to numbers, they traveled a number of spaces in fewer increments of time, which is another number. So it's increments of time times number of spaces equals their final score. It's just represented as at, you know, crossing the finish line and race winning. It's still numbers. Um, so a game that does a game that does not use numbers as a way to resolve and you don't say it but you must be talking about combat ah uh, jeez how could you possibly how could you do that i don't think such a thing exists i'm going to disagree with tom that says mini games hide the math i mean yeah I, I, arguably no shogun cube coward does not hide the math a race game does not hide the math i mean i guess when you point out dexterity that's, it's still numbers. It's the number of times I hit you. But instead of rolling dice or spending resources to resolve how many times I hit you versus how many times I hit me, there's a physical skill component. But it's still physical skill as opposed to dice rolls or card play or resource generation and and spending. It's all numbers. Gosh, to be non-numbers, it, there's party games. I was going to say something like Dixit, because if you think of a given round as a form of combat where we are all being the ones who try to win in a given round, um, it has it, it's not about numbers. It's about who is the best at reading another human being and um, you know or, you know tr- tr- being able to put something out onto the table that most people will vote in favor of, and that's but still in Dixit after that's resolved. It's numbers because it's, uh, you know, the number of people who vote for my uh, piece of art I put out versus the number of people that vote for yours. It's still a number that determines how successful you were in the combat resolution of Dixit. I don't know, man. I don't think such a thing exists because the fundamental nature of conflict. What? Let me actually, I wonder if there's a good uh, right, def, def, defini- def, definition, conflict. Uh, is a serious disagreement or argument, typically a protracted one, an incomparable, an incompatible or variance or clash. Right, that's the breaks it. But I mean, what what is conflict about? Conflict is always, inevitably, about inequities of the perception that I have something you don't, or you have something I don't, or you have done something I don't want you to do, or vice versa. And every one of those things can be countenanced by money. And that's a number. Or by resources, which is a thing you count. In terms of resources, we think of how much one has and how much one doesn't have. M- numbers are everything, man. I'm sorry. I can't help you. I-, I do not have the answer you're seeking. It's an interesting philosophical question. 
Honestly, the best thing I can suggest you do is go to faq.rado.com. That's the website. Entry number five, that has a link that will take you to a discussion forum where if you post this same question, I guarantee you it is such a thought-provoking question, you will get lots of answers from lots of people. You'll probably get a lot of interesting introspection about it, and I'd be curious to follow that thread myself. So my best answer for you, Nate, faq.rado.com, number five. And good luck. All right. Numbers are everything, man. Numbers are everywhere. All righty. Hello, Alexander. You have a gaming question. Have I played or seen Skulls of Sedlik? It's from Buttonshy. It's card patching, which I love. He didn't. I, I just added that. And that's quite interesting. I don't know. I'm aware of Buttonshy, although I'm really not that aware of them. I only recently... Was it Skulls? All right. Uh, BoardGameGeek.com tab. Skulls of Sed. Tell me more. It's a 2020 game. A game of stacking skulls in the Sedlik Ossuary. Oh. I don't know. Uh, it looks like it's got cute little art. It's from Buttonshy Games. You say it's card patching. I love card patching. You know what? I just added that to my wish list as a like to have. And I will not consider 2020 to be truly over until I've had a chance to play it. Because uh, Buttonshy's Sprawlopolis and Circle the Wagons were both phenomenal. Is this des- are those games designed by this? Is Dustin or Dustin Dobson is the designer, and he has done some other things I have not heard of. Uh, because they're all brand new. And so, thanks for pointing it out to me. Uh, and uh, I look forward to learning more about Skulls of Sedak. I wonder if it's available yet. All right. Anyway, but I got nothing for you today. But thanks for the heads up, Alexander. Thomas says, here's some game-related questions. I saw your run-through of With a Smile and a Gun, and I thought the game looked very interesting. I was wondering if it would fit in your top 10 two-player-only games if you had to update that video. I'm also curious about Jen's opinion on the matter. Well, I can tell you, Jen, right now, wouldn't remember it. Uh, Jen does not remember the majority of games we play. If I, sh- if I got out and showed it to her, although I don't have it, I only had a prototype, I don't have the final game. I mean, we both thought it was very, very cool. I could almost see it making it onto that list off of the strength of the gameplay, which was just... It was nothing short of miraculous. A an area control game that Jen and I, a two player only area control game that was pretty in your face that Jen and I were both one hundred percent comfortable with. It was brilliant. It was so nice and puzzly, but the subject matter was still a turnoff for Jen, and Jen enjoyed it in spite of the theme. And when we played it, she said she wished it was another theme. So I don't think it could. I, I think just based solely off the theme, it couldn't make it. If it was not Prohibition-era gangsters, or really criminals of any type, but some other protracted land dispute, um, it could potentially. But as it is with its current theme, nope. But it's very, very cool. I believe it's funded, didn't it? Which I'm very happy about, because it certainly deserved it. Now I need to know, because I never look. Once the video's done and they've signed off on it, I just walk on. Kickstarter. Smile and a gun. Doing the quick Google search. Dice drafting game. Oh, man, it was so good. And it looks like... Why does Kickstarter always take so long to open the page? Uh, da, 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 da. And it succeeded! Hooray! 16,000 Canadian when they were looking for 12,000. So that's fantastic. I wish they had an alternate take on it theme-wise. Alrighty. Next question... Do I remember uh, what my favorite nemesis is in Aeon's End? Base game plus expansions and why? Well, I couldn't tell you the name of it. And there's so many of them and we've played them all. 
And to be fair, most of the time we play them once so we can say we played it so I can do the video and then we move on. So, I mean, I am in no way, shape, or form an Aeon's in expert. There are people who have who have played this game to death and it plumbed all its depths and whatnot. But of everything I've played, I, I know the one that stands out in my brain uh, most, that, I, that pleased me most. And it wasn't in the most recent, which was what? Outcasts? It was in the New Age, I believe, the one that came before it. And I don't remember the name, but it was the t- the one that had to do with time. It was kind of like a grim. It was kind of like a Sandman, um, because what did it do? It put bad cards in your deck, and over time, it would throw more of them in there, which is not at all uncommon. But what those things represented was the passage of time and it aging us. I think age, like the the ageless or the aging or something. All right, now I'm going to search. I think age was in the title. If I do a search for aeons. Aeons and Ageless. Let's see if that... Hey! I, oh, wow. I, I'm is The Ageless Walker is my favorite. Because if I recall correctly, what it did is, uh, when he attacked, he put these cards in your deck, and they could not be gotten rid of. Every time they come up, they just do a quick point of damage to you, and then you discard them. So they don't clog your deck at all. And I thought that was brilliant. The idea of a deck builder... You know, cooperative. This is a really common thing. Cooperative deck builders where the bad guys throw stuff in your deck and it's like, oh, my hand is really small and now I've got to find ways to get these out of my deck so I can be at peak efficiency. Ageless Walker says, no. I am literally sucking the life out of you. I am making you age. Every time you go through your deck, which kind of represents the passage of time, you will get hit by one or two or three of these cards and you can never get rid of them until you defeat me, or until uh, you die of old age. That's thematically what was going on. And so what do you do if you've got these poison pills in your deck that you can't get rid of? You make your deck bigger. And I love that, because it really changed the gameplay to encourage making your deck super fat, which is something that deck builders generally don't, you know, uh, encourage, but this was the way to stay to survive. Was to you know, uh, you know, to, to pump yourself up, and so that you could live a longer life because it was constantly sucking you down. But then the other thing he did is he stole cards, and I think put them into I forget it was like I don't know the pit, the void. That I think that they had somewhere the cards would go, and you could get them back because they weren't trash from the game. So he was constantly sucking the life out of you, and um, you know, prematurely aging you. And you had to race against the clock. And the way you did it was by making your deck fat. And I loved it. Easy, you know, my definitely my, not. I don't know if it's the best one or not, but definitely the one that put a smile on my face the most when we played it. Although I do remember from Outcast, which is the most original one. I forget again the name of it, but it, the one that um, basically created an Ascension-style conveyor belt of cards. So it kind of subverted the Dominion-style deck building and brought in you know, the, the Ascension-style. I thought that one was really brilliant, too. But that was a lot more work. The Ageless Walker is the best one, I'm pretty sure. Although, that's just going off my gut feeling. Maybe I'd change my mind if I literally sat down and studied every single one. But it's the one that comes to mind. Okay. Hey, Mario... What have we got here? Okay, in the previous podcast, I talked about Lookout and Cosmos 2 player lines. Uh, What your thoughts were about the highs and lows. You asked for a list, because I wasn't going to remember them. And here's a list. You've given me links. Hooray, I'm opening them links. Mario, well done, sir. Uh... For folks who send questions to questions at raw.com, it helps if you include links to lists of things, if you want me to talk about lists of things. All right, so I've got the Cosmos two-player series and the uh, the Fürschweiler 
lookout two-player series. You know, and they're famous for having this consistent box size uh, that you, you see all over the place. Anyway, so your question had been, going back to your email, what do you think about each of them, highs and lows? All righty, let's take a looky-loo. All right, the Cosmos. And what is this? This is in alphabetical order, this list. Oh, okay, here's pictures. All righty. Um, well, a lot of these I haven't played because the implicit nature of most two-player designs is to turn things into a duel where players are you know, basically butting heads trying to destroy each other in various and sundry ways. So a lot of these I haven't played. Um, but of the ones I have... You know, actually, interestingly, from the Cosmos line, Hellas is one of the few games that Jen and I actually dug. Actually dug quite a bit. Even though it was a little dude, super tiny little dudes on a map with cool god powers. I ultimately, we didn't dig enough to keep it. It is gone, but I did think it was very impressive. I definitely want to play Jaeger and, and Spare, or Spar someday, but I've never uh, actually found a copy of it. Lost Cities, of course, is probably the preeminent, the, the number one two-player box size game of all time. And with good reason, it is a brilliant design. My only problem with it is that I, I'm just not very good at it. Oh, um, but as far as I'm concerned, it is totally supplanted by Targi. So for uh, Cosmos, the highs are definitely Targi and um, Lost Cities. And maybe Hunter and Gatherer, Jaeger and Speyer. It's a, such a bummer. This never... Why did I like this? Oh, because it's from a designer who hasn't done much that I really love. Yeah, Gerhard Hecht. Uh, and so I suspect it's probably really good, but I've never played it. And Hellas is surprisingly good. I've heard Flower Power is very good, but also incredibly mean. We did play Balloon Cup, and we thought it was lame. Uh, Caesar and Cleopatra was pretty cool, but it's a, a across-the-bar dueling, and it was ultimately just didn't work for us. I've never tried Asante because I assumed it's uh, Big Brothers. I mean, I played it's Big Brothers that I, I forget. They're set in African markets, and now I can't. A Jambo? Is that what they're? Yeah, from Rudiger Dorn. What are they? The, and these are like the Asante uh, is the small version of. Man, why don't. Uh, Jambo, Jambo, yeah. I mean, we had played Jambo and thought that was way too cutthroat, so I never tried Asante, but maybe it's not so bad. But anyway, those are the ones that jump out at me on this link you have sent. I've never tried Kahuna. I've heard it very good. But again, I just knew we weren't going to like it because it's very in your face. Uh, oh, Lord of the Rings, The Confrontation. Uh, we did try that. I thought it was brilliant. And Jen hated it. Hated it. Uh, because we played it twice. With um, The first time she was the, uh, the you know... The, the Frodo and the Hobbits, and she we, and I beat her, and she said, this is impossible, there's no way to play her. And so we switched roles, and then uh, you know she was the Dark Lord and I was a Hobbit, and I beat her a second time. She's like, I never want to play this game again. She found it so frustrating, but I thought it was brilliant. And, um, oh, Odin's Raidens. I think we played it and thought it was kind of meh, whatever. I have no idea why it was such a grail game for so long. Perry Rodan, I think I, I had that, and I got, I you know, I set it up and I read the rules and I never even played it with her. I knew, okay, we're not going to like this game. Uh, just, not that it's necessarily bad, but just because it was such a, oh my gosh, this is such, so pick up and deliver meh type stuff. So anyways, those are some highs and lows of Cosmos. Now let's move on to Lookout. Uh, the, the spiel for two, the play for two line. Of course, all the... Uwe Rosenberg, you know, babyfying or, you know, uh, simplifying of his games. Agricola, all creatures big and small. Caverna, cave versus cave. Uh, those are great. 
Oh, and Laverna and Limport. Those are all, those are, I think, his three. Those are all fantastic. The problem with Le Havre Inland Port would have totally been a keeper if there had been even the tiniest bit of attempt to have some kind of setup variability where it wasn't set up the exact same game every time. That was a heartbreaker because that could have been one of the best games of the year. Its design was so brilliant. And, um,. And we have Agricola, All Creatures Big and Small, and all of the expansions. It's just great. It's it's lovely. It's ch- charming, sweet little game. Caverna Cave vs. Cave was a brilliant design, but it was too in-your-face, too cutthroat for our taste. I don't even remember how it was now. I thought it was brilliant. It made me very sad. Foothills. Foothills is in here, but Foothills does not come in this box size. I don't think Foothills belongs here. If it doesn't have that box size... I think this is wrong. So I'm not going to include Foothills. Although it's brilliant. I think it's great. It's basically two-player-only stripped-down Snowdonia. But it did not come in the two-player official box size rule, so it shouldn't be on this list. Glasgow. Oh my gosh. Glasgow is just missing my top 10 of the year for 2020. It is phenomenal. Brilliant design. Gold Ahoy wasn't bad. Uh, Hengist was horrible. One of the worst games I ever played. From Uwe Rosenberg, in general. Mandala is, was in my top 10 for 2019. Patchwork is, uh, for a lot of people, a, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the, um, Lost Cities killer. And it's brilliant, but ultimately I think Uwe, some of Uwe's other ter- uh, polyomino games, specifically the Spring Meadow, uh, eclipses, so we didn't keep it. And, uh, oh, Trombon is great, too. I love Trombon. Really clever game. So tense. So, of the two, Lookout destroys Cosmos. And and Lookout has some really brilliant things in there. And what are the lows? Well, the low is obviously Hengist. Hengist should never have been published. It's funny. The the estimate came out. What year was it? 2015. Uh, what's his name? Jason uh, Levine of the Dice Tower was doing interviews with, you know, big publishers or big designers, you know, big name designers at Essen, you know, just talking with them in the hallways. And he and one of the interviews he did with uh, was with Uwe Rosenberg. And he said, so, you know, amongst everything else he was talking about, I think Caverna type stuff, he said, hey, tell us a little bit about Hengist. And Uwe Rosenberg's response is, I really don't want to talk about that one. So that tells you everything you need to know. That is clearly a half-finished design that the publisher said, okay, what the heck, let's just put it in a box because it's got Uwe Rosenberg. And it had really cool components, but it was a terrible, terrible game. And, uh, yeah, I did not do a run-through of it because it was awful. Uh, but Trombon, yeah, so that's a lot of really great stuff. So there's a quick rundown of some highs and lows. Hopefully that was what you were looking for, Mario. Next up, Mario continues. On a previous podcast, I asked about revisiting my top 10, but wasn't... Or he asked about vi- uh, me visiting my top 10, but he wasn't clear because I was trying... Because he was trying to refer to the top 10 list. So let's try it again. Okay, okay, I misunderstood your question. Let's... I will double focus. All right, and I'm, I'm going to read exactly what he says here because I sometimes mix myself up when I try to switch pronouns mid-sentence and I really shouldn't do that. He says to me, you have been revisiting your top 10 list lately. What is in the pipe to come? Do you already have an idea which ones you will revisit in the next few months and also guests for them? Well, I just mentioned um, one of them is hopefully Jeremy Howard. And uh, if it all goes to plan, it would be a revisit of top 10 designers. Because that is definitely one that stands, and that's the only one I've planned. I, I'm just, I'm, I, I haven't really done any advanced planning. I'm, I'm just kind of doing them as I go. And, uh, but I've got now so many that are more than five years old. And I, that's why I kind of said, hey, once it hits five years, let's go back and revisit that. So to answer your question of what else is coming, we should just look to see what's uh, been around for five years. And how do we do that? We go to top10.rado.com. Let's do this right now. 
and I'll try to give you a better answer since I failed last time, and I have no who knows what I actually said last time. Oh, oh, top ten. That's my top ten suggestions, which I have. I pretty much stopped. Oh, but yeah. Okay, and then it has a link to the actual playlist of all my top tens. All right, so we need to go back, back scrolling down to the area around where we are. D T T. Okay. So, all right. Yeah. So recently. Uh, all right. So actually, if we go all the way back to the beginning, I did top tens for all the years. I don't think I'm going to revisit those. Very little has changed. I have done a revisit of top ten gateways. Everybody wants to do a revisit of Jen's top ten. There's no way that's ever going to happen. I did revisit top ten worker placement, and then I had thematic game, thematic Euro games, and Ameritrash games. I don't know if I'm interested in. Re- that's that was nice, but I mean. I'm getting further and further away from being able to find any enjoyment in Ameritrash games, whereas back in the day I could. My my tastes have just moved on, so I don't think that's as interesting one. I did revisit Top 10 Co-Ops, and then I did revisit Top 10 Heavies, and then Top 10 Fillers. And um, have I revisited Top 10 Engine Building games? Have I? I don't think I have. So that's one that might come soon. Uh, let's see. And then I did do my Top Must-Haves. I did that with Ryan and Shay. And let's see, and then after that, there would be top 10 games wanting an expansion. I remember that being a really tough one to do. Because I my brain, I don't generally tend to think about that. I, I don't tend to think about what I'm looking for. So I don't know if I'd redo that one just because it was a lot of work. Although now I'm curious. Let's see, if um, five years ago when I did top 10 games wanting expansions, did any of them ever get expansions? As I haven't even looked at this since then. Alrighty. Star Wars Expedition, no. Epic Resort did. Yes, it did. Versailles, no. Spectre Ops, I don't know if it did. I got rid of the game. I got tired of waiting. Steam Park, I did ultimately. And I, right. Prosperity did not. Homesteaders did. Hooray. Helios did not. Archon and Glory Machination, which oh, everybody's so excited this year about. Oh, look, worker replacement and deck building. And like Archon was doing that a half a decade ago. And everybody forgets about it. It got no expansions. And Lahav Inland Port, as I already mentioned, didn't. So it looks like most of these did not. So hey, that list still stands. I don't need to update it. Top 10 Civ games. Hmm. Honestly, I don't know that I'd have. There's only I don't think I'd have enough. I mean, to redo one of these, I've got a lot. I have to have a lot to say. It doesn't make much sense to redo if I'm just going to change a couple of entries, which is all I think would happen with that. Top ten surprise games. That would mean coming up with ten completely new surprises. Honestly, five years ago it was a lot easier to surprise me. These days, I bet my games a lot more. So I don't know if I'm going to revisit that one. Then we have top ten video games. I'm certainly not going to do that because uh, no, that's one of my worst. I think it's probably my least viewed top ten of all time. People do not want to hear me talk about video games, which is really weird. Top ten expansions. Ooh, that one I might update. I, I hey hey hey. Let's see. What was my top ten expansions? Or what are we getting into now? Oh, we're getting into 2016. Okay, so no, I'm not going to do that because that's um, still maybe sometime next year, late next year, I might do that. So. That's what I think we're looking at. Wait a minute, I didn't. Why did I choose designers? Designers aren't here. Oh, you know, yeah, top ten designers. So yeah, I could say probably designers is coming, and then after that maybe engine games, and then maybe civilization and surprise, but probably not. And so probably, and then I'll probably have some new ones for a while, and then probably top ten expansions, top ten Kickstarter games. Uh, oh, it'd be interesting. I'd want to go back. I wonder if I could do another top 10 pickup and deliver. Uh, yeah. So I think those are going to be off. So I think those are probably only two or three that we're going to be seeing for a while. Then some new stuff and then some more revisits when those things. Because now, you know, I mean, what, when was, what, what did I do top 10 economic games in? That was in, I should really turn my sound off. 
Yeah, that was in 2016. So some of these we might show up later 2021. All righty. So that's where we're at now. Hopefully that answered your question, sir. Okay. Right, moving right along. Can you explain how the thumbs system works on the BGG request geek list thread thing? Yep, I misread your sentence. And by the way, let's just confirm we're still recording because I've been going. Yep, okay, we're still recording. Well done. All right, let's get everything back lined up. All right. <clears throat> I'm asking because I can see industrial waste is high on the list, but I don't see a run through for it. Uh, is that because you can't get a copy? Also, do you delete entries from it after doing run through? Second question first, yes. I delete them. Sometimes I forget, but most of the time I'm pretty up to date about keeping that list as short as I can so that people will actually go to it because it's only like three pages long and look for things to thumb that they like. If the It used to be, that thing used to be like 15 pages long. And so I've gotten much more aggressive about only stuff I'm sure I'd want to play and get rid of stuff as soon as it's been covered or as soon as I'm not going to cover it. You're right, uh, Mullen Money or uh, Industrial Waste has been high on the list for a while, and it just hasn't been covered because there were other things that were higher. Um, and, and in all honesty, I'm really not that keen on it, and I'm kind of wondering why did I ever put it on the list. I'm just not sure if I'm interested because I've since looked at the game a little bit closer, and it's probably fine. But why even cover it? It's for a game that nobody's going to be able to get. It's been out of print forever. And it doesn't seem like there's that much love for it. And I've just been having a hard time mustering enthusiasm. I'll be honest, Mario. It could be the greatest game ever. Let's see. Actually, let's go to it. Let's go to thumbs.rotto.com. And I think you're right. It is current. No, no, no. Here's the deal. Kingdom Builder Crossroads is at the top of the list. Uh, and I didn't add that. Somebody else. Because I don't own Kingdom Builder Crossroads. And here's the deal. I decided everything that was going to stay on this list, it's either because I want to play them, or if somebody else asks me, and I don't get it off the list. When it makes it to the top, I will go out and buy the game. and I will, Or the expansion in this case, and I will do it. The reason Kingdom Builder Crossroads hasn't happened yet is because Queen Games said, hey, we're going to send you the big box, Super Kingdom Builder Deluxe box. So I'm kind of waiting on that. And as soon as that shows up, I'll probably cover Crossroads and anything else Kingdom Builder that I haven't covered so far. So that's been at the top for a while, but it's just been on hold. And so because it wasn't, then I was just doing stuff that was underneath it, and honestly, since I wasn't doing the one I should do, I was just picking the ones I wanted to do, and I just wasn't as excited about Industrial Waste. But I'm getting to the point where it's the last one I could do. So maybe it's going to get done this month. Although, I'm about to ship it away so that it can join the Dice Tower West board game library. Because I've gotten to the point now where I'm donating literally hundreds of games to the board game... to the No, not the board game geek. To the Dice Tower West convention to, so they can build up their own um, library and not have to ship the other one or only have to ship portions of it. I'm not quite sure. But basically, so Industrial Waste is about to get sent away. And I forgot all about it. Because honestly, I mean, the stuff that's really high, I'd rather do this Port Royal expansion. And it's close. Or I'd rather go out and buy a copy of Fox in the Forest since the publisher never sent one to me. And oh, Glasgow's almost up. And I'd really like to cover that. Um, but anyway, right now, it's I what I should be if I was sticking true to my own self-imposed rules. Whatever it takes, whatever's at the top, which means I should go out and buy a copy of Kingdom Builder Crossroads right now to cover it. But I'm just waiting because they said they were going to send me one. So maybe this is the month for Industrial Waste. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But that's that's broadly how it works. But I'll be honest, I'm not as good as I should be about following my own rules. Because... Uh, 
my own personal preference and enthusiasm does come into it. And I'm sure there's nothing wrong with it. I've just lost all enthusiasm. I, I own the game. I've owned the game for probably eight years. I've had it forever. And I've just, every time I've ever gotten out of the box and just started to set up, it's like, oh, this does not inspire me at all. I love the theme about being, um, you know, eco-conscious, uh, competitive eco-conscious businesses. I love that theme, so I really should. But I just know there'd be no enthusiasm. It, it's only at the top of the list because it's been on the list for so long that it's just attrition. Uh, because it's the literally the first thing on the first page because everything else that was put on the list eight years ago has been covered and it's the only one. So people go there, they give it a thumb, even though nobody wants to see it. Uh, but I guess you must want to see it. That's why you're asking, right? Right? Anyway, that's where it stands right now. Then Mario says, about Blackout Hong Kong a few days ago. Mario was talking with his friends about under how underappreciated the game is in the Fister portfolio. I agree. It's phenomenal. One of them said it was good, but ugly as hell. Uh, mentioning that Eggerspiel didn't do any favors, rushing it so they could have the game at Essen that year. He said that it's the biggest problem because the game is good, but it needed more art design work. I love the game, and I don't mind the art at all. I think it fits the theme set. What do you think about Black Horse art? And do you feel like Eggert rushed the game for Essen? That I couldn't tell you. But I don't agree with your friend. I think I think the game looks appropriate. It's a blackout. The board should be a big sea of black because all the lights are turned off. That's entirely appropriate. Now, to be fair, what would be awesome is if it was a dual layer board, which would have significantly increased the cost of production. And uh, the game came with a bunch of stuff that, hey, when we actually get the lights back on, we can slot a little thing and you can start seeing the lights come back on in the city. And that would be amazing. Or barring that, they should have included a punch board with punch outs of all the different sections of the city so that, hey, once the lights come on, we can put them on there. It would serve no gameplay function whatsoever. But it would be such a wonderful gimmick seeing the city come back online. I think that would have been amazing. And I think now what I think people complain about is not the art. Because it was actually is it Andrew Bosley who did the art on that? I think it's a good looking game. Black out I'm looking it up. Hong Kong. The problem was oh, I can't find it. Is it one word blackout? Hong? Hong not honk. Blackout honk. That was my problem. Alrighty. No, uh, Chris Williams, who's another phenomenal artist. Um, I think the problem with it was those colorful dots. They don't look right to me. They look very... I mean, I don't think the game looks bad, but it does look discordant. It seems odd that there's this really muted, bl almost black and white, almost noir-feeling thing, which is appropriate because it's a city, a city-wide blackout. But then there's all this colorful stuff layered on top, and that stuff feels garish and out of place. And I don't. I, I think that's a fault of... I would have much rather all of those dots representing all the different sectors of the city, I would have rather those had been um, black and white dots with symbols on them. And so everything, the everything on the board just looks clean and pure. And, and I think it would have had a more consistent graphic design. And I think that would have made people much more comfortable. When they say it's ugly, I think... It's not that it's ugly, it's discordant. And that was a mistake on the publisher's part. And um, I think it would have been better suited. And honestly, I would have rather seen um, you know, different scale of gray cubes, or if not cubes, uh, tokens. With um, you know, so that you know the black and white 
motique could have been leaned into. It's it's like, hey, we have this really cool idea. Let's make this really cool, sleek, elegant thing. You know, like how everybody these days loves putting black mode or, or dark mode on all your apps and your web pages and stuff like that because it's it's elegant and clean. And I think the game had that idea, but then they just threw this big smorgasbord of color over the top, and that's the problem with the game. I think, anyway. But it doesn't matter because the gameplay is so good. I think it was my number one or my number two of that year, in fact. It was so good. Um, and it is a shame that people have that response to the looks. I agree with you, man. You are right. And But I couldn't say anything about the, the rush to publish it. I, that I don't know. All righty. That was it for Mario. And then Nigel sends an awesome picture of his pooch. Which I will have to go and share with Jen. Oh, it's Charlie! Folks, if you want to see the... Oh, man, that's a really nice... Actually, Charlie looks nice, but that's just like a really well-composed picture of a dramatic skyscape. If you want to see it, folks, along with one other dog picture this month, go to doggo, D-O-G-G-O dot Because now, when folks send their dog pictures and they say it's okay, I publish them there. And thank you for sharing Charlie. Charlie is looking very noble. Charlie looks like he's worried about a blackout in Hong Kong, in fact. But anyway... So, Nigel's question is about insanity as a resource in games. Nigel was wondering if I had watched um, this video, and he gave a link by Shay Parker, about the use of insanity uh, in games, and was wondering how I feel about it becoming a fairly tired trope in board games. I have seen the video, and it was very eye-opening to me. I had no concept, before I saw this video, that there was a burgeoning movement to try to... um, deal with the stigma around um, using crazy or insane as a uh, as a qualifier as an adjective because it does make people who who have who, who suffer from you know mental I, I honestly at this point I'm, I'm not even quite sure what the what the uh, agreed upon terminology is um, but you know basically uh, for folks who don't know there is in the same way that retarded, used to have a very strict and clinical definition of a certain, um, you know, I think it was literally brain abnormalities. But over time, it became, um, and I I could be wrong about that. I'm sorry, I don't know the history as well as I should. This kind of hit me um, from left field. Um, And it was a very quick uh, video that Shay did. But in the same time, over time, it became unthinkable or you know, incredibly rude to use retarded in as a common slang term. And it's fallen out of use completely because it was very, very hurtful to um to people in the mentally handicapped community. Is that the is that the a better way to say it? I believe so. And so there is a similar one to go more broad and not just focus on that one word, but to try to change uh, the common use of, 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 you know, I mean, everybody's guilty of it. I say it all the time. Oh my God, that's insane. That's crazy because there are those who feel that that is stigmatizing as well for people who do suffer from mental um, hardships, and they're trying to work through them. And to hear crazy used as a pejorative, that it's it's bad, it's evil, it's abnormal, um, and I agree with that in theory. To answer your question, what did I think? And I was really surprised because I'd never given it a second thought. In the same way, it would I'd be very uncomfortable saying that someone is retarded or whatever uh, because... 
Uh, it, it's, you know, over over the course of my lifetime, I think that kind of picked up steam in the 70s when I was still a kid. Uh, when I'm, I'm sure I used it as an expletive as a kid, and I called other kids uh, that as well. But now it's, you know, people use the, uh, the R word. Uh, you know, it's a kind of parallel to the N word, although it's, you know, not quite as... Uh, uh, it does have quite the same stigmas associated with it. And so... Um, Anyway, uh, Nigel continues, I haven't played the game he mentions, Nemesis, but I have played Arkham Horror and other Lovecraft-themed games, and whether or not to use the term insanity is inherently insensitive to those who struggle with mental health issues. I do feel that using insanity as a resource, like wood or stone or gold, is a touch lazy. I recall that times of t- a Time of Tides was reskinned as Tides of Madness, and the Lovecraft setting was used as arbitrary as a Civ building game, uh, but the Cthulhu version, you crowbarred the madness level that players have to worry about. I know that there are always people who say this sort of thing doesn't really matter that much, and they're wrong. I do think this matters. Um, but it clearly matters to somebody as I see this topic coming up uh, time and time again. Personally, I tend to dismiss any game that has even the vaguest association with Lovecraft because I've grown tired of seeing the game, the same Sandy and Sandy mechanism trotted out repeatedly. And any concerns from people who speak are often dismissed or shouted down because, of course, the implicit racism associated with the source material and all that. I wonder if this is something that you have noticed or at all bothered by. Uh, P.S. Here's Charlie. And by the way, folks, Charlie is awesome. Go check him out at doggo.rob.com. So, like I said, it was really eye-opening. And, um, you know, and, and Shay just mentioned there's a lot of... And I did a Google search, and he's right. There's a lot of articles about this. And this has been going on, I think, for about a half a decade. That there, or Maybe even as long as a decade, that there's been this push to try to take that out of common parlance. And, um, you know, if you were to find yourself saying, Wow, that's crazy. I can't believe how insane this is. You know, as Shay pointed out, you can, say, you can just easily say, get the same idea. That's wild. And, you know, I mean, you could say that's wild. Now, here's the deal. I, I agree with it in principle. Although I haven't looked at it as much, but I, I take it on faith from the articles I did look at that, yes, it is hurtful. And here's the deal. For anybody listening right now who would say, those damn SJWs censoring my speech, you know what? Just try being nice. Just try thinking about how your words can negatively impact somebody. And if it, it's no skin off your nose, it doesn't hurt you to stop saying, you know, there was a time when I'm sure there were people who were vehemently opposed to having their speech censored because they wanted to say the N-word with impunity. And how dare you uh, take away my right to say that because it's just a word. And, it, it, you know, I don't, I don't care if other people are hurt. I have the right to speak how I want. And that's, um, that's incredibly insensitive to expect somebody to say that today. And there was a time when um, the R word, because maybe I was being a bit insensitive even saying it in this kind of uh, academic review right now, because I'm not going to say the N word. And who knows? You know what? Maybe in a generation or two, because that's the thing. I think this is a generational shift. Uh, Maybe that will change. But honestly, I don't think it can here. Because crazy and insane are so embedded in pop culture English language. I mean, the number of, you know, uh, you know, Crazy in Love by Beyonce, Crazy Train, um, you know, uh, it's it's so ubiquitous. I don't think... And, and the thing is, usually, you know, quite frankly, our word, N-word, other words that are incredibly insensitive and hurtful that have worked their way out, those words were used as pejoratives. Crazy and insane have shifted their 
pop culture meaning to be so far removed from literal mental health issues. Um, when I call you crazy, I'm not, um, I, I'm generally, generally not using it. I mean, I, I could call you crazy, but I, but I love it. That's a crazy idea. And crazy could be good. Crazy good is a phrase. It doesn't have, you know, the, the, the same, um, you know, insulting. It's very rare. Crazy and, and insane are so very rarely used as insults. So I don't know. And they're so common as adjectives. I don't know, even over a generational period of time, if they will ever fall out of use or ever get um, replaced with more sensitive versions of the same words. I would be totally fine. And ever since I saw Shay's video, I haven't been able to stop myself from saying it, but I'm certainly more aware that I'm saying it, and I'm trying. So, and Shay's point to games... Why? I mean, you don't have to change the gameplay. Uh, he called it mental stability, I think, or something like that, or psychic stability. Actually, I, he made it kind of sound kind of sci-fi, but I guess Nemesis is a sci-fi game. I, I bet. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's an interesting thing. And honestly, to answer your question, I'm not quite sure, Nigel. I haven't really done my due diligence, but my gut feeling is if there are people out there who are negatively impacted by the casual use of a term, and it doesn't cost me anything to say a different word, why? Why would I hold on tooth and nail and fight to the death to say a word solely so that I could hurt other people? It makes no sense to me. So I am aware of it, and it's something that I'll be continue to try to be aware of moving forward. Um, but honestly, I, I think it's a lost cause. I don't think this crusade will be able to take off. But I mean, hey, Crusade. Well, I don't know. Uh, yeah, crusade is, is not uh, used in. Uh, it does has no common parlance, and I don't think there. Well, actually, there probably are people in the world suffering via crusade. I mean, anyway, that that's kind of where I'm at, and um, I respect and applaud Shay for um, taking a stand on it and trying to be an agent of change and try to you know and make that decision. I agree with him. I respect him for it. I don't know if I could pull it off, but. I'll see what I can do. Alrighty. Alejandro was reading the Board Game Geek Forum, and it seems that the English rulebook for Castle of Tuscany is a total disaster! Exclamation point. With wrong translations not only in the English book, but apparently other languages as well. I'm curious to know if you had issues with it. Um, first of all, I can say I had no issues with it whatsoever. I found the game to be easily playable with the English rules. And it wasn't until after I found out that some of the translations, what I realized I was simply playing it wrong. Uh, there are definitely some very epically bad translations that there's no two ways about it. If people follow the English rules, they will literally play the game wrong. And even if, if they follow the French rules, I think the French rules had it wrong too. And you had to go back to the original or the, the French rules, the, the English rules were blatantly wrong. The French rules implied the correct way to play without explicitly stating it. And the original German rules actually came out and said it. And that's terrible. Now that said, the stuff that you might accidentally play wrong because you go by the English rules are fairly minor. And I don't think it made that much of a difference when I actually played things correctly. But still, that's no excuse. It was an incredibly shoddy job. And whoever was responsible for it, I, I hate to say it, but they should have gotten a talking to because they did not. They did an actively bad job, and the rules are actively misleading. And if you're interested in picking up the game, and you should be because it's amazing, uh, there are. Uh, you can go to Board Game Geek, go to the file section, and you can get 
uh, fan-made rules that straighten everything out. I hope the publisher fixes this stuff for the reprint. We'll see if they do. But you're, yeah, you are right. There are some really egregious mistakes. But, like I said, even if you played it wrong, the, they, they, they're not super gameplay affecting. Alrighty. Next question from Alejandro. Uh, Castles of Tuscany rates very high amongst my favorite games of all time, and I believe it sits at my number three Feld spot based on ratings. Or on my ratings, which you, you can go to rank.ro.com and check. I do recall watching the playthrough with Jen, and it looks pretty fun. Could you elaborate more? Uh, sort of a brief final thoughts. Because, of course, I, I didn't do a run-through for Tuscany. Instead, we did a live playthrough, and then Jen and I talked about it a little bit. Uh, so a brief final thoughts, if you will, of the particulars that make it so highly rated for you. Well, you know what? I'll do one step better because this month I am doing my top 10 games of the year. And spoiler alert, it ranks very high in my top 10 games of the year. And I will talk about it there. Um, I should talk about it now, though. But I'm not going to. You'll, you'll hear that soon. It's coming soon, Alejandro. Hang on! Um, I, I will explain why we think it's so great. I really need to get my, my thoughts in order about that, too. All righty. And ooh, boom! We are done with the uh, game-related question. Let me just double-check. Back to Outlook. Let's just make sure we're still recording, because I'm always worried. Nope, still recording. Back to Outlook. Yes, okay. So, folks, please hold on, and we'll be right back with Jen to go over some personal questions and answers. Although, as always, if you're not interested in Jen's and my personal opinions about stuff, we will part ways now. I hope you enjoyed this game-related question and answer section, and I'll be back in another month. Please send more questions to questionsaround.com. Thanks for listening. Talk to you so long. Bye-bye. Otherwise, we'll be right back. Okay, everybody. It's now time for the personal questions and answers, which means I've gotten out of my uncomfy chair into my slightly more uncomfy chair so Jen can take the slightly uncomfy chair <laughs> and uh, weigh in on all types of topics that you are here to see. And along the way, she will be, I believe at long last, finishing a scarf that she has been knitting for me for the last two years, Yep, I believe. Yep. So, she's Finally. very close. There's only a little ball of yarn left. We might even finish it during this very sit down. Wow, that would be awesome. Well, it depends on how many questions you send in. And of course, as always, questions to questions at rado.com. Honey Power, are you ready to go? I am ready. All right. Well, first of all, we have Andrea, who... Uh, da, 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 is that right? Am I sorted by date? Yes, I am. Who was recently watching some documentaries on the late 80s and 90s music revolution, Pixies, Nirvana, etc. Andrea felt a great deal of nostalgia thinking on his or her days at middle high school in the early 90s in Italy, learning English, trying to translate the lyrics of the Beatles, David Bowie, and bands that were popular in those years. Since most of the commercial success of alternate rock is linked to the Seattle scene of the late 80s, I am curious to know if you or Jen have some memory of that period's musical scene since we were there at the time. It might seem unlikely to see you or Jen as alternate punk rock fans at first, but actually Kurt Cobain, uh, who is from Aberdeen, Washington, and of roughly our age, and most of the kids of that scene were also great fans of the Beatles, David Bowie, and Devo, which might be more in line with your taste. Thanks for your time and the content you make, Andrea. Honey, do you have... Uh, 
I was Do you not, have any insight into the grunge scene that no. we actually lived through in the 90s? I was not a Nirvana person. No? Nope. But maybe you You're were. not going to entertain us? I, I, Act stupid, contagious, here we are now. <laughs> Honestly, I am I am embarrassed to say that even though we were there, we were right there on the front line, we probably could have gone and seen Pearl Jam or any number of bands for almost nothing at local venues before they blew up. Neither Jen nor I have actually never been to a rock concert in my entire life. I think Jen's only been to a couple. I went and saw um, Neil Diamond. Okay. As one would. Yeah, that's if, some alternate punk. If one right grew there. up with it. as yeah. a, And then I went and saw George Michael. George Michael, all right. And I, I'm feeling like... Not George Michael Bluth of Arrested Development, volume, but rather... Um, yeah. Um, and I, I feel like there was one other... So concert only, I went to, but you've only been can... to uh, yeah. I figured you'd only been to a small handful of concerts. I've never really been to any. I've seen some classical. I've been to some classical concerts, some you know music in the park type things. Sure, but yeah. uh, actually nothing with lyrics. Really, <laughs> nobody the, sings. Nobody sings. So yeah, I, I I certainly am a fan of the music. Although I wouldn't call myself a hardcore devotee. I just kind of know the main hits that were, you know, worked their way up the pop charts. So I'm I'm afraid I I just. I guess it's a bit of a regret that, I mean, that was such a huge, important musical uh, moment, and we were right there, yeah. and we were too busy doing other stuff. Yeah, and it's just not my kind of music, so, yep. unless... So I'm afraid we got nothing for you, Andrea, but a good question. Next up, uh, Paul Way says, this is one for Jen and I. Honey, Yes. question. Yes. When did Paul McCartney find out his daughter Stella wasn't into board games? I don't know. When, on her birthday, she got a ticket to ride, and she don't care. Oh, there you go. That was apparently the question. That was a good I one. don't know, folks, if this uh, sets a good precedent for sending in <laughs> cheesy dad joke type puns. questions. I like puns. Um, but Jen does enjoy this kind of thing. I believe that was Paul's Paul, or Paul Way's entire question. Thanks for uh, asking people to vote and showing people it isn't too difficult. All right. Um, oh. Happy your mom is adamantly able to make a difference. Actually, also love the dog pictures. I just read um, you just read on then? the New York Times Digest thing they send me every day is that they recognize that 69% of the voting population voted this time. Wow. And that's, that's pretty, pretty darn big good. for America. Yeah. Wow. So I, I felt proud of my country for getting out and doing the vote. Yep. But much more important now. The uh, runoffs in Georgia. Yeah. By all means. Actually, but... it was pretty funny because the same Times uh, summary thing that I read this morning yes. had uh, whatever the rules are for moving to Georgia and registering to vote. They had a link on how to do that. In the New York Times. Yes. Wow. All right. Yep. And I thought, ooh, that's... I mean, that could seriously be considered voter fraud, I think. If people I are moving so. to somewhere to affect... I mean, it's a huge thing to affect, but that... Hmm, seems a bit crossing the liney. But it's the New York Times. This is why I was the so Journal of Records shocked. Yeah, quite. that they would be advocating that. Well, were they advocating? Did they say do it or did no. they say here's how you? Here's can the do information it? and the deadline's Monday. Well, so, so get we have in the car right now. Yeah. We'd have no time to talk to you people. We have less than twelve hours <laughs> to move to Georgia and get registered. And get registered. All right, let's get right on that. Right after we're done with the remainder of your questions and answers, podcast uh, on the road. Because we are pro. Boss off, and uh, we're not. Alrighty, uh, that was it for Paul Way, though. Okay. And uh, then we move on to Nathan. 
who doesn't have questions per se, but something that might be worth discussing. Point one. While Nathan does not disagree with my wider point that I must have made in a previous episode... (laughs) One of your various points. I had to write in to disagree with your argument that Marty McFly uh, offers no character growth. Admittedly, it's not much, but the whole storyline with the facts and the car accident is, in my opinion, him learning to manage, mitigate his anger issues... Uh, as a counterpoint, I would suggest Dirty Rotten Scoundrels uh, as possibly a better example for a popular, well-loved movie that does not include character arcs. About the only thing that the protagonists learned, if anything, is how to be better con men, and maybe did not underestimate Moon quite so much. There you go! They, even they, even Steve Martin and Michael Caine had a character arc of sorts. Well, uh, here's the thing. I guess I should have made a bit more clear, because I think you are not the only person who brought this up. I was specifically referring to the original Back to the Future. The original movie, Marty had no character growth whatsoever. Retroactively, when they turned it into a series and they made the back-to-back two and three, they tried to shoehorn in character development for him. And I would not say that that made those movies any better than the original. So I think my argument still stands that you do not need to stick to the nowadays prescribed uh, ABCs of how to make a proper movie, which includes your lead protagonist having a character arc. Uh, Another great example uh, of the time, Ghostbusters. None of the Ghostbusters learn anything. (laughs) Um, And yet it's widely regarded as one of the greatest comedy movies of all time. And... Uh, and that's why I mentioned Back to the Future as well, because the same thing is true there. In the original Back to the Future, I mean, George grows, uh, so he's a you know he's a supporting character. But that was my point. Um, point two: uh, Nathan wonders if the opposite of empathy, or more specifically, an empathetic person would be a sociopath and or a narcissist. Mm. I suppose. Um, I mean... Yeah, I think actually narcissist is probably the better... Yeah? Yeah. Opposite of empathy. Go, Google, go! Right. Apathy would be the opposite. An apathetic person would be the opposite of an empathetic person, according to the top... uh, Although... I mean, I guess. Actually, I I kind of agree with you, Nathan, over Google there. Yeah, I do. I, I, th- I think, apathy uh, is just not caring at all about anything. Yeah, apathy. But well, you know, an empathetic person does care, um, and a narcissist does not is, care. Is but is entirely inward looking as opposed yeah. to outward looking. Whereas an apathetic person is kind of on the fence, in the middle, arguably. Well, or just null. Yeah. Null. Yep. So yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I think a narcissist is is the opposite. Nathan's not done though with uh, oh. observations. Let's have it. Point the last. Uh, regarding the golden rule, may I submit for your consideration the platinum rule? Did we talk about the golden rule? I guess we must have. We must have, yeah, but what's the platinum rule? The platinum rule is do unto others as they would have you do unto them. And minor correction with profound impact, in Nathan's opinion. Uh, Do unto others as they would have you do unto them. As opposed to do unto others as as you would have done unto you. Um, Well, yeah, I mean... I, obviously, that kind of catches bridge, ca- bridge cases of, I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure. Okay, I don't know where you're going with that. I don't know. I was trying to think of, uh, let's see, somebody who would want me to, you know, uh, you know, treat people as they want to be treated, 
rather than treat people as you want to be treated yourself. Yeah. Um, that is an interesting alternate. It's a subtle distinction, as you say. Carry on. And Jen says carry on. No, sorry. I just, I've dropped a stitch somewhere, but I'm not going back. Oh, no. Oh, wait. No, I just found it. Oh, hooray. <laughs> hooray. Oh, not that you folks can see it because Jen refuses to be on camera for these, but that was a very exciting moment. <laughs> it was not a very exciting moment. I, I mean, there. See, yes. I have to have two. Well, right. uh, thanks, Nathan. That is, I, I don't know how I think about how I feel about that. I, I mean, because obviously you can't know how they would have you. Um, and it is something, I mean, just as a general purpose, look, you have to make snap decisions every day, um, you know, about how to, well, when life gets back to normal, how to deal with a myriad of people. And the thing is, there's a lot of socially prescribed behaviors and you think, well, do unto others as you'd have done to you. Yes. A lot of times people will do stuff that they really don't want to do, but yet it's the socially prescribed thing. Let's take mask wearing, for uh, example. Let's take a mask you're wearing, yes. Yes. So um, there's a lot of people out there that don't want to wear masks, um, but if they were to supply the golden rule, then I guess the platinum rule would be better because if they look around and they see people who are wearing masks, then obviously those people who are wearing masks would like the non-mask wearer to do to them as they think that they yes. want to have done. Oh, my God. <laughs> you will make it to the end of that spaghetti sentence. You can do it, honey pie. I'm just going to leave it there. You right. understand where I, I'm it's going. It's a fair point, although still the original golden rule, if they were to truly evaluate it, if um, even the most ardent, diehard, COVID-denying, mask refusal, I must maintain my freedom type person were to, uh, to truly... Um, Look at the fundamental question of: Would I rather get COVID? Or, or, yeah. Would Would I rather? Because um, if, if I'd rather have undone unto me somebody who is potentially sick and might potentially kill me or my loved ones, would I like them to take just the tiniest, simplest, easiest little thing they could do to not all potentially kill me or my loved ones? If the answer to that question is yes. That you would want someone, a complete and total stranger, to do the bare bones minimum stuff required to not accidentally kill you, then you should do the same for them. So again, a selfish motivation um, works well as a mirror, uh, but it does require the uh, the introflection, I suppose. I don't think that's a word. Introflection. Wow, I think that should uh, be a in word. Introspection, perhaps, <laughs> introspection. or reflection. Introspection <laughs> or introflection. Introflection. You <laughs> Activate. Heard it. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah, it does require the introflection um, <laughs> to to take a step back and look at the. You know, of course, their response is, "Well, I deny it because there's absolutely no danger." Um, in which case, is it better to apply the platinum rule? Well, yes. Uh, yeah. So if someone is completely divorced from reality and refuses to accept basic principles of science, let's say, in this particular, then you would want to apply the platinum rule because, hey, if nothing... Oh, no. Even then, even then, the golden rule applies yeah. because somebody who says, well, no, um, masks do nothing. There is no such thing as COVID, etc., etc. So therefore, I don't care if they wear a mask or not because I don't believe they will inadvertently kill my family by chance. Then the platinum rule says, well, just do it because you know that's what they want to do. But even still, that works from a golden rule perspective because um, all things being equal, a random stranger 
Would you like them to be polite to you? Yes, you would. Then if so, be polite to them. Which is a variation on what the platinum rule is. Being polite to somebody is being empathetic to their wishes and concerns. So it's the same. It, it comes out the same. Yeah. I think that golden rule does a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah, it certainly does. I got nothing against the platinum rule. I'm, I'm down no. with it, too. Oh, I was trying to think of some some other thing that's not mask-related or COVID. Let's say you are... Not quite so controversial. Yeah, let's just say your grandfather has just passed away, or is going to pass away. All right. Just not of, of COVID, though. No, of old age. All right. And let's say he has uh, a million dollars or something that he's going to disperse to the family. And there's you you and your parents and your siblings, okay? But let's say the grandfather was just going to give it all, part, set it up equal parts to everybody that's still alive in the yes. family. So if there's five of you, you'd each get 200000 Okay. Okay, my goodness. However, if you apply the platinum rule, let's say one of you is a um, real charity oriented person wants to save the pandas mm -hmm. or the polar bears mm -hmm. or something like that. So, and, and the grandfather knows that I'm just thinking if you do platinum rule where they're trying to figure out what your real, real desires are and all of that kind of stuff, I think it's ne next to impossible to get into somebody's brain because they may say, Oh, I really want you. I would rather that you support the polar bear foundation. Yeah. Um, but really, in their heart of hearts, they really like the $200,000. Yes. So how do you reconcile that? Yeah, that's kind of where I was going. The issue with the platinum rule is if you're just having to make snap decisions about how to comport yourself day to day in real life or online or whatever, mm. trying to get into somebody else's head is to a trickier... Real, yeah, to whatever the real kernel is yeah. in their head. I mean, that's, that's a tougher ask. It's, harder, it's hard enough for us to figure out what our own kernels are. Yeah. So I think that that is just an impossible ask. Let's yeah. stick with the golden rule, which is just... Well, the golden rule, another way to put it is um, just treat other people with kindness and respect. Yeah. And... I could do that. Yeah. That I could go for that. Anyway, sorry, that was a very long convoluted... I was yeah, trying to give an example of... Yeah, a couple of, of quickies, and then that one, that one went deep on your third yeah, one. All right, with no questions. But yet, food yeah. for thought. Yeah. Okay, then we're going to move on to Dan the Man. All right. Honey pie. Yes. Uh, Dan is a registered Democrat, uh, as a default, because that's what his parents were, and uh, yes, uh, but he's surrounded by growing up. He's thrilled that Biden won. As an adult, 43 years old, living outside the U.S., hmm? uh, he feels like he knows nothing about politics. Yes. Uh, uh, he knows some basics. Can't really weigh in on most political conversation. He'd like to change that. Living abroad, feeling personally attacked um, <laughs> for sending an absentee ballot, which was accused of being fraudulent. Uh, this has motivated him to become more uh, informed. Who has been attacking you? I mean, just, uh, just uh, Trump uh, yeah, yeah, doing uh, his uh, thing? You know, the, uh, the, the Trumpism of, you know... Yeah, the... De yeah, okay. Because yeah. um, certainly when we were living abroad, nobody ever attacked us for sending in... Yeah. I mean, attack verbally or, or give us an, a raised eyebrow or anything. Well, I mean, uh, to be fair to the other side, uh, Trump would not argue, although it, Trump would still create an atmosphere where anybody would begrudge Dan because there's a subtlety to it. His argument was um, not against absentee ballots where, okay, well, you're physically out of the country. You're physically out of the state. He was always fine with that because, of course, he and all his family do that. <laughs> so if it's if he does, it's okay. It yeah. was the option. Like, uh, we were in Washington State. We didn't have to d vote through the mail. Right. That was the argument. But, of course, uh, anyway. So, uh, Dan's wife who's incredibly well-informed, uh, who is from Europe, credits BBC to have a balanced approach and thinks the Washington Post also does a good job. 
So, Dan's question, what advice would we give to someone who wants to get more informed in politics? Well, Dan, I'll tell you what, I have been very much in your shoes. Yeah, this is a good question for Jen because Jen has ignored politics for pretty much her entire entire life. life. I wasn't even going to say adult life, your entire life. You have just completely tuned out. Yeah, I mean, my family has never been, you know, we've never discussed politics over the dining room table or... Uh, anything really, just, yeah, absolutely nothing. So it's never really been an important thing. And in fact, um, we, when we moved to England the first time, <laughs> that was about as political as I ever got was just, I can't live in this country when we've just elected this ding dong. <laughs> I mean, and now I look back and think, oh, what a nice ding dong he was. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I have to say I have been very much out of uh, paying any kind of attention to politics. I think what has happened is there has been such a polarization and such a, a change in the last eight years, uh, eight to 12 years, about what it is to be an American. And that has really brought my attention back to it because I think um, the Obama-type attitude of we're in this together, uh, we're all Americans, you know, let's raise everybody's boats that sort of thing, just makes sense. I mean, why wouldn't you want everybody, and not just Americans, the whole world, why don't we want to lift everybody out of poverty? Why don't we want to make sure everybody has enough to eat and has clean drinking water and a safe place to sleep at night and, you know, all of that. I just don't understand. We have enough. There is enough if we would just figure out how to share it. And what has happened over the last 20, 25 years is the rich have gotten so obscenely rich compared to normal people, it's just, it's, it's inconceivable. And those people ought not have that much money. There is a certain amount of money you can spend and enjoy in your lifetime. And I am all for people getting to work hard and enjoy that and, you know, appreciate the perks. Not everybody needs to live at a, at a wealthy level, but we all need to live at a level where there is enough, where there's enough food, there's enough um, time to go to school and educate yourself. There's enough safety in the society that you live in that you can start a business or you can raise your children safely or whatever. So I, I, what I see is a fundamental disconnect between what the 1% are are doing and, quote, enjoying. I don't even know that they're enjoying. I think they're probably burdened by it, um, but they know no other way because it's always been that way for them. Uh, whereas... The middle class, if there is such a thing anymore, which I don't really think there is, and and the lower classes have, well, okay, now, admittedly, everybody lives better than the kings of 200 years ago mm-hmm. live. I mean, running water in our houses, <laughs> sewer systems and septic systems and food that's basically safe to eat, even if it's maybe not as nutritionally great as it should be. Um, you know, we're not starving, most of us. So it's... When you when you compare to 200 years ago, yes, things are so much better, and the arc of civilization is moving in the right direction. Where am I going with I this? I don't know, honey pie. I just I'm just off on a rant, apparently. Uh, yeah. What was the question? The question was, what advice do you offer? Oh, what have I done? Okay, so what I've personally done um, to get more uh, knowledgeable and and as you can tell, I mean, tune. two years ago, that um, that diatribe would have been unthinkable to Jen. She literally had no thoughts about any of this stuff. Well, I think I have thoughts about fairness. To uh, sure, all sure, sure. But I mean, not to the level you just uh, um, outlined. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Um, so, what I've done is I've started uh, reading the New York Times daily 
thing that they send me. It's a summary of kind of what's going on. And admittedly, the New York Times is definitely leans a certain way. Yeah, it's a left-leaning. Yep, definitely. yep, yep. Um, before that, I would say I listened to the BBC. I've actually read some Al Jazeera articles and things like that. There's a new thing called Quora, Q-U-O-R-A, which I somehow got um, signed up for. And basically, it's just regular people talking about regular stuff. But I find it really interesting to kind of dip a toe into what people are thinking about. And when then somebody answer, asks a question that I find, well, that's an interesting question. Let's see what people are saying about that. I, I enjoy going and reading about the myriad viewpoints that people present. So I think I've just perhaps reached out in a non-physical way and, and connected with what people are saying. And I'm sure everybody lives in their own echo chamber, regardless of how hard they try not to. Because, of course, I don't read everything on Quora, and I don't read a lot of news or listen to a lot of news or whatever. But um, I think I've, I've expanded sort of my worldview from those things, from doing those things. And also, desperate times call for desperate measures. And I think we have been in a desperate situation with Trump as our president for the last four years. So, uh, yeah, I think I've definitely become more active because of that. Hmm. Okay. Um, Do you want to answer the so question? So your Jim? answer or recommendation is the New York Times Daily Summary and Quora. Uh, that, uh, those are the, that's what, that, those well, are the main things you found. Also, I've been listening on. to like Ezra Klein. And, oh, you have? Yep. And the Andy Andy Speaks. Um, yeah. So other So for the most podcasts. part, I mean, you, you have been, I mean, those are podcasts as well, but those are all left-leaning. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I'm kind of a bearing the lead because his second question was, mm. can you recommend websites, podcasts, printed sources, uh, for any honest, balanced political commentary? And that gets into the interesting thing. Um, to me, to be quote fair and balanced TM. The, the, the problem is reality is left leaning. And I appreciate that folks on the conservative side steadfastly refuse to accept that. But as a general rule, Go to any accredited fact-checking organization, and um, the majority of mistruths that float around in our modern world are born of the right, not of the left. That's not to say we don't have our exaggerations and our our misdirections as well, because obviously we're very left-leaning, but there's no two ways about it that um, the, the uh, con con conservatism is about ideals born of the past um and liberalism is about idealism for the future uh looking backwards versus looking forwards and i think one it has implicitly more value now all that said if you do want to be fair and balanced the simplest answer is there are plenty of websites again that are accredited you can uh, check their sources and whatnot that actually track media bias like uh one mm. of the first ones i ever saw is um what's it called I was just looking for it while Jen was talking. Allsides.com. So you can go to allsides.com or one of the uh, other ones that do the same type of thing, and they will list all the different news outlets and where they exist on a spectrum. Yeah, and, and they will ar articulate why, you know, wh uh, you know, where they come from, you know, how, how, they, how, do, how they come to these uh, uh, delineations. And so if you want a little bit of everything, pick... Pick some. Uh, you say BBC. Obviously, BBC uh, is, a, I think, a very good example of being right down the middle. 
And according, I'm looking at all sides media bias chart right now, and BBC is right in the middle. Also right in the middle, AP, uh, the Associated Press, yeah. which is the closest thing that America has to the BBC. The Beeb. The Beeb. Um, you know, just... and uh, you know, uh, USA well, Today of all things is rated right down the middle, as is the Wall Street Journal, which I think you said your wife mentioned. Um, interestingly, the New York Times. News is slightly left, whereas the New York Times opinion is hugely left, as far left as you can go. Uh And on the flip side, Fox News is only slightly to the right, whereas Fox opinion is way to the right. It's over there with OAN and um, Newsmax and all of that. So... Uh, if, if you want to try and get a fuller picture, use a site like that. If you don't necessarily trust them, just do a little bit of reading because they will all go into great detail about where they came from these, and that'll give you a few um, spots you can choose from. You know, if if you want to be a bit more fair and balanced. That's interesting. The Christian Science Monitor is is listed as central as well. Mm-hmm. NPR. Yep. 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 Yeah. Axios. Yeah, Reuters. Uh, Reuters. Yeah, Real Clear Politics, The Hill, USA Today, uh, Wall Street Journal. And like I said, this is just one. There are many sites that do this. So I would say, um, you know, use one of those. Find the ones you like. And, uh, yeah, go like that. I mean, I do a couple of weird things. I mean, most of my media consumption is left-leaning as well. And it's interesting. I, I have seen on some of these that, that uh, you know, not only do they have an overall leaning, but then a factual basis I've seen some of these, and this is where I'm coming from. As a general rule, the left, even if they're left-leaning, they still generally rate higher in objective fact reporting. It's just the question of, do they put a left-leaning spin on it? Do they have more... I mean, you know, Vox is great reporting. Really in-depth, uh, very accurate, very trustworthy, but every one of their article titles is incredibly clickbaity. Inflammatory. And, and inflammatory. But then if you actually read the articles, no, they're pretty well balanced. <laughs> um, so it's 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 a weird ecosphere, and it's that's the nature of modern media that you know to get clicks you have to be clickbaity, and you do have to pick a side to get people who are already on that side and predisposed. So you know something that's milk toast and dry and in the middle is not going to draw as many eyes when it boils right down to it. And unfortunately, news media has been commercialized, which has a whole history in the United States, which is tragic, literally tragic, that the federal government made a few very big bonehead moves when they were first splitting up the airwaves uh, as that was developed. So, oh yeah, but anyway, allsides.com would be maybe a good place to start. Alrighty, we're all stressed out, continues Dan. What advice do you and Jen have for those of us wanting to improve on self-care? What do you two what do you two do to relieve stress and reset, including and in addition to playing board games? Um, I think walking. I like to walk the dogs. Mm-hmm. That really helps me. I feel like after I've gone for a good walk with the pups, I feel right. a reset. And now that's really that's physical exertion more than anything else. Yeah. That you know, that's that's mostly biological in that you are, you know, literally using exercise to release stress hormones. Yep. Of course, it helps that there are dogs too, which are implicitly stress reducing. That's, that's, that's their fundamental function yep, in society what, as that's well. That's what they do for a living. Yeah. 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 Well, and that you're out in nature and maybe seeing pretty things and taking your mind off of whatever, you know, man-made mm-hmm. issues there are. Yeah. yeah. That's why Jen refuses to listen to podcasts while she walks the dog. Yep. Um, because she does not want that to enter... Um, I don't know. I, I, 
have always, I think, been pretty good at compartmentalizing and dealing with stress. I mean, I used to have insanely stressful jobs, but I don't think they really had much of an impact on my personal life because I was, I mean, they would, people would argue that it's bad to compartmentalize, and but I've always found that to be a fairly easy, comfortable thing to do. Just, to, okay, I'm not worrying about that anymore. Yeah, you turn yep, it that, off when you came yeah, in. Yeah, that, that's a problem. It's still there tomorrow, but I don't care about it anymore. I'm just going to focus on Jen, or I'm going to focus on the TV show, or the dogs, or playing this game, or whatever it might be. Um, I don't know that everybody can turn off the way that no. you do, though. Yeah, I think I, that's I, one of I, your special skills. I, I imagine. I think you're probably right, and I don't actually. I couldn't argue. I couldn't identify why I'm like that, but I think I've always been like that. I think it might be from your childhood where your parents or your mom and brother specifically were always arguing. And I think you were able to just tune mm. that out and well, tune it off. Early and... training as a self-defense mechanism. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, I didn't come from a violent household, but I came from a very angry, shouty, screamy, yelly, um, functional alcoholic uh, household. And, uh, and I largely dealt with that by just staying away from all of it. Although we were on a boat, so there was no place I could go. <laughs> yeah, but so all would... I could do was just be in the bow when everybody else was in the stern, or be in the stern when everybody else was in the bow, and, you and just a lot shut of books. it out. Yeah, books you tuned out. Yeah, yeah. What about reading, honey? Is reading a good escape for you? Or... Um, I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Definitely. Speaking of, I've mentioned my passion for watching TV. While Jen seems to be a voracious reader. And quite a driven, creative professional. How do you separate your self-improvement with leisure time dedicated to screen time? Any advice for those of us wishing to improve their time management? Wow. Hmm. Um, I think part of the reason that I'm able to be a voracious reader is because he wants to watch his own shows. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of TV that he watches that I have absolutely no interest in. I, I walked into the living room last night after uh, brushing my teeth or something, and he had to do a quick pause, and it was on this absolutely horrific image of somebody on screen, and I was like... It's episode two of The Dark, which everybody on this podcast kept telling me, you got to watch The Dark. All right, I'm watching The Dark. And I happened to pause on um, at, a, at a very graphic image. Yeah, and so... <laughs> I was just like, and, you know, and Jim's, and I'm like, I'm looking over. Oh god, I hope she doesn't turn around. Should I pick the remote back up? And but then she'll think I'm not paying attention to her. That I'm still watching TV while she's talking to me. Oh, what am I gonna do? It was a, uh, it was a real conundrum. Yes, it was. So I just, I was just like, okay, you're out here doing that. I'm going back into the bedroom, and I will do my. The reality thing. is that image was on screen for like two seconds, and that's it. Okay, well, <laughs> I'm not saying. And I'm not judging either. It's just I don't want that in my mind or in my life. So um, I choose to do other things with my time when he does that with his time. Yeah. So, and that's fine. That's fine. Um, so is that what's your advice there for time management? Of, um, I mean, what was it? Time management of leisure time versus yeah. You know, how do you separate your self-employment? I mean, obviously he's just pointing out work. We're, we're both self-employed. How do we actually manage our time? I think you're just pretty easygoing. Mm-hmm. And whatever my priorities are, you work with them. Yeah. One thing I do, uh, to me, that's very central to my concept of time management, which is something that I don't think is really in tune with subscribed, uh, you know, prescribed societal norms, is I do think that entertainment is incredibly important 
It is an important part of life. It's not something that you do to waste time. Um, it's uh, it's the reason you do anything is to be able to... Um, I mean, I, I seek entertainment as... Not, I mean, I'm completely a-religious, but it's almost a holy pursuit for me. It is a sacred pursuit. The idea... I mean, because what are we here for? I mean, we're here to help each other. Mm-hmm. And in the absence of that, we're here to help ourselves. And I, I don't have much of a higher calling than seeking out entertainment. I, I think the, uh, the, the, the role of an actor and an artist and a musician and every, in society is incredibly important because of the service they provide, the, the form of entertainment. Because as a species, we have largely been able to move beyond the immediate... I mean, we, we are no longer at the low end of the hierarchy. What was it the Maslow? Maslow yeah. The Maslow hierarchy. I mean, that's... I say that as a privileged, middle-class white dude. And I appreciate not everybody is in the same situation we are. But it is kind of the norm. I mean, you know, as Jen mentioned earlier, that you know, we live better than the kings of old. You know, even lower-class folks, even um, you know, people on borderline, living in borderline poverty live better than the kings of old in our society. And there's such an insane influx of readily available, free, compelling, and um, enlightening and engaging entertainment. I think it's a perfectly reasonable life's pursuit to seek that, to seek self-betterment through art uh, and entertainment. So I don't look at it as, oh, I'm just wasting time when I sit down last night to watch The Dark. Or uh, the latest season of Big Mouth just started, and it's so awesome. Um, I, I, I think of that as meaningful and worthwhile spent time. And not everybody does. I know Jen, uh, probably one of our biggest differences is, hey, we have a choice. We can sit down and play a game and have a good time, or we can go do a chore. <laughs> to me, it is a no-brainer. Have fun. The chore can wait. It doesn't matter. And Jen can't enjoy the fun while she knows the chore is still there because, again, she has been pro- you know, programmed by society that, no, you do your chores, then you, uh, and as a reward for that, you get to have fun. That the chores are what define you as a good person. Your ability to uh, you know, achieve those goals. Yeah, and, and you get I fundamentally, reward. Yeah, I do not look at life that way. And I don't know that I ever have. So that's kind of an odd thing about me. All right. And again, I know I say that from a uh, from a very privileged position. All righty, and that was it for Dan, right? Unless you those have anything more to say good on those questions, and they weren't well even questions; they, they were, were just, just observations, discussions. Or, or was that the previous? Was the observation? I don't remember now. Because uh. we're moving forward, <laughs> um, and now we have a different Dan, I believe. Is it? Yes, it is. Dan? Nope, it is. No, it's the same Dan. Da- same Dan is back for more. All righty. Um, we've all been through a lot this week. That was the week of the uh, election in the states. Oh. This is all these came. You in mean November. while everybody was counting? Yep. And uh, yeah, this was back when the outcome had not been decided and it was still up in the air. I'd love to hear your take on how it made you feel to witness Rudy Giuliani's press briefing at the Four Seasons Landscaping Company. Remember, do you remember that, Honey Pie? So that's the, the the world we live in now. That feels like a lifetime ago that happened, and it was just a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and yet it feels like ancient history because so much craziness has happened since then. Yeah. Um, all right. Particularly the moment when the reporter told him the election literally had just been called for Biden. Yeah. And and, and yeah, he just doubled down. Uh, did this really happen or was it all a dream? No, it really happened. Um, 
genuinely asking as a concerned U.S. citizen, do you get a sense that most or even um, uh, most or even some Republicans are horrified and embarrassed by this? Politics aside, I'm worried we'll ever be able to move forward. As Mark Twain said, "Truth is stranger than fiction," and is because fiction is that's because fiction is obliged to stick to possibilities. Truth isn't. Um, right. So I guess the question there is, I mean, I don't know, Jen, I, we don't really, I mean, everybody in our lives are left-leaning as well, kind of self-selected that way, I guess. I think we are self-selected, but also possibly, um, lucky Mm -hmm. because like I was talking to my, yeah, I was talking to my sister last night Yes. and, um, her mother-in-law and brother-in-law are, are from Ron's family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are not. Right, yeah, <laughs> they're, they're, yeah, they they're are, right-leaning, they're conservative, they're yeah, conservative, they're COVID they're deniers, Trumpers, all that stuff, yeah, 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 and, um, you know, it just makes it really difficult to have any kind of conversations when you are so divided. It makes it difficult to have any political conversation when you're so divided, because um, both sides have hunkered down. The reality is, I am sure Ron's parents are charming, delightful, lovely people to be with. And I imagine the uh, number of things that you and I agree with them on far outstrips the number of things we disagree on. And if even political topics could be stripped away of the vitriol and the venom to just be simple statements of fact, mm-hmm. uh, we probably find common ground there as well more often than not. Yeah. Uh, but it's, you know, it, it, it's what we're living, we're living in a world where media has been weaponized, uh, well, self-weaponized for, for ratings. And, but now, uh, within the last half a decade, uh, politicians, popular, populism has existed forever. It's not like it's anything new, but I do think there has been a shift that populism has um, uh, inadvertently colluded with um, ratings-driven media because a populist is much more engaging to listen to, whether you agree with them or not. It's like a car wreck. You just can't turn away. You have to stare at it. And the news says, oh, well, then let's put this on rather than the calm, measured, dispassionate, reasoned debate. And, uh, and so it's, it's, that's the world we live in now, unfortunately. And as a result, it's very, very, it's, it's the, the common ground that is right there. It's right there in front of all of us, but none of us see it because we're all looking through blinders of, of rage tweets and whatnot. So that is a tricky and dissatisfying thing. Um, you know, tribalism is a powerful urge. And I, to answer your question, how do most Republicans feel? Are they, are they, as we feel, they should be genuinely embarrassed by their avatars in the uh, in the social landscape? I suspect not. One, they'll just steadfastly refuse to admit it even happened. Or I mean, because there is no more powerful weapon uh, than the term fake news. Uh, because n- d- truth doesn't matter. Truth is completely inconsequential to the claim of fake news, and it's very, very difficult to get difficult to get over that. Uh, but you know, as depressing as all this is, it's not like any of it's new. And hey, it's not like we're literally in the middle of a civil war. You know, uh, you know, uh, things have actually been worse in our country. As bad as they are right now, they have been much, 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 much worse in the not-too-distant past. Um, I mean, if you do a bit of reading about the, the state of society you know, in the, uh, in the civil rights era, 
I, mean, I, I know there, you know, George Floyd and, and similar tragedies that are happening are inconsequential compared to the tragedies that went unreported in the 50s and 60s. And as bad, and, you know, and it's, it's still incredibly important to address these uh, discrepancies and tragedies that are going on today. Um, but it is worth remembering that it's not as bad as it used to be. And in fact, the fact, the, the fact that it happens so much less now, but that it's so much more widely reported because as a counter, I mean, because of citizen media, because mm-hmm. everybody now has their own camera and can be, uh, I mean, what did I just hear the other day on, um, I think it was on Yang Speaks, somebody talking about the 17-year-old girl who filmed the death of George Floyd should get a, uh, a Presidential Medal of Freedom. Because she had the wherewithal to film that, and uh, and that's, I'll let you talk for a bit, <laughs> and, and that's that's very powerful and that's very uplifting, to think about it from that point of view because we don't think about that, that um, a girl with a camera had the wherewithal to film that and it changed the world or it's in the process of changing the world and we may not feel like it's changing the world enough and it's not. But there have been so many community-level changes that have happened across the country in the wake of the, black, of, the, of the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement that's happened over the last six months. Do you know, it's, I hope this doesn't sound blasphemous or, um, yeah, probably blasphemous. It's, it's almost like everybody's always been told God is watching you. But now since we all have our own cameras, there is a presence everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. That you cannot get away with anything. Somebody could be recording you and you could be taken to task. Yeah. And it's not God anymore. It's it's all of us. Mm. And I think that's very empowering. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the Vietnam War, the fundamental difference about that conflict compared to the Korean War is there were cameras. And the reality was broadcast into people's homes every night. And that meant society's response to the Vietnam War was completely different than to any other war in our country's history, because it's always been kept at distance. And, uh, and that was a world-changing thing, seeing Buddhist monks set themselves on fire in protests and stuff like that. It's interesting, um, because, I was just going to say, I was going to say something about that, but I've forgotten. So I guess it wasn't that interesting. So never mind. Oh, well, I'm curious what you were going to say. I don't remember what I was going to say. What was I going to say? All right. So the Vietnam War changed everything. Oh, oh, oh. Um, it's yeah. I what one thing I do not understand about our current worldwide pandemic situation. Uh, a huge failure on the part of media. It, all they're doing is talking about. They're doing a lot of telling, but no actual showing. I have no oh, visual... No showing of people dying in... I, 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 I have no concept. It is so far removed from, I mean, uh, from most of our day-to-day life that it's very, very easy for people to dismiss it out of hand. Because, I mean, you know, back in you know, April, May, there were some, uh, some arresting images of the, tra- the freezers the in New York. The portable morgues. Yeah, the portable yeah. morgues. Um, but there's been very, very little footage... Uh, you know, and and there's lots of really heartrending, you know, just you know, gut smashing footage of frontline healthcare workers just begging people, please wear masks. You don't understand what's happening every day, but somehow, it's still just people talking about it. We're not seeing it. Just- I think it's because you can't see it because there's nothing grisly about it. Um, I would imagine seeing somebody dying of COVID is just seeing somebody lying quiet asleep 
unconscious in a hospital bed and slowly dying. Uh, you know, there's 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 nothing. Yeah, because they can't be visited by family. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there's an incredible sadness, but you know, there's no boils or lesions or blood. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, because we do a good job of keeping it under control. If you can get a bed, that is. So I don't. Know, maybe that's the problem the media has. They have no way of really, in the same way, the Vietnam War was made very, very real to the American public. The same way the Civil Rights Movement, um, you know, the March Across Selma was broadcast, and people saw that firsthand. But no one's seeing the uh, direct impact of COVID deaths. And I, and I think that's why it's so easy for such a high percentage of the population to just completely ignore it and say it doesn't exist. Mm. Or that it's, well, that it's all fake news. That's true. And to have the President of the United States... Well, that doesn't help. Um, completely denying it is... Yeah. I, th- I think that is criminal. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, it is. No, I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, Donald Trump is personally responsible for more deaths... Uh, through his actions and his uh, his leadership, quote leadership, yeah, then it's 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 unthinkable. I mean, it's it's so far beyond oh, just a silly sideshow clown into oh. Anyway, sorry. Um, what was the question? Oh yeah, <laughs> was it a dream? No, I'm afraid it was not a dream. It's all happening, and again, you know, the polarized nature of media has created a circumstance where people can just deny that it ever happened. And it also doesn't help the fact that um, local media has curled up and died. Yep. Uh, you know, that was another thing I heard on the... Uh, with another. Yeah, the, uh, the fact that the local paper, which would be reporting on all the deaths in your neighborhood, so you could get a better sense of, oh my God, this is true even here, even in our small town. So look at all these people who are dying. Um, but there are no local papers anymore. So all that is just going unreported. So that's a problem too. All righty. Ben hopefully has some more cheery topics. <laughs> uh, uh, with you lately talking uh, about the shows on different streaming services, uh, Ben was wondering, how many streaming services do we pay for? Which ones? Uh, do you have a limit on how many you would subscribe to? If you're feeling it, can you rank the streaming services? Let's see, what do we subscribe Ugh. to? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it comes and goes, because often we'll subscribe to a service because, oh, there's a show running right now that we care about, and when it's done, we'll stop. So... I mean, right now we're subscribed to Disney Plus because The Mandalorian is still on. And uh, and we'll probably let that lapse again when it's over. And uh, let's see. I have to look. Because uh, at any given time... Uh, right, let's see. Oh, we're, we're subscribed to CBS All Access right now because Star Trek Discovery is running. And again, when it goes, we'll probably let it lapse until the next season of Survivor starts. Oh, Star Trek Discovery Plus... Amazing Race. Although, strictly speaking, we have regular terrestrial stuff, so we don't need streaming for Amazing Race. Uh, right. We're not subscribed. There's nothing on Hulu right now, so, you know, that's lapsed. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, at any given time, I mean, I've got ready to, and I, every week, I get a half a dozen, hey, please come back. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I will, when you have another show I want to watch. And I'll give you five to ten bucks to be able to watch a season of this show, and maybe a couple of other things. Um, you know, HBO Max will probably jump on that when, um, well, geez, next year, HBO Max is going to explode. I mean, I'm sure you don't know, Honey Pie, but all of Warner Brothers' major films that are going to come out in the year 2021, um, are going to be in theaters and on HBO Max at the same time. So people don't have to go to the theater to see Matrix 4 the day it opens. They can just watch it from home if they subscribe to HBO Max. I don't know why anybody goes to a theater. Uh, because, for the communal experience. 
yeah, to, but they to be also surrounded by the... people who, I mean, uh, to, uh, a crush of people all feeling and expressing the same thing you do at the same time is a powerful thing. Yes, but they're all eating their popcorn and crunching their candy bags at the same time, too. Yes, that's true. That is true. Uh, let's see. So, uh, but if I were to just try and rate the overall... Honestly, I think the best station, it's not a streaming station. You just get it as part of your cable package, which we have as well, because my mom can't handle streaming anything. Uh, we tried that, and it didn't work. So we had to just get her an Xfinity box so she could do things the old-fashioned way. But AMC is just, you know, I think it's probably the best channel there is. It, it, you know, and that's different. It's a channel instead of an entire platform. In terms of platforms, there's been a lot of really cool stuff on Apple+. Plus. And uh, Hulu, on for the most part, uh, you know, their original programming isn't that great. And honestly, I'm not that crazy about Amazon Prime's, which we have not because of Amazon Prime Video, but because of we just have Amazon Prime. Because if you live in America and you don't have Amazon Prime, what kind of consumer are you? I mean, I mean Mrs. Maisel is nice, but there's only been a handful of Prime shows we really care about. Um, let's see, who else is there? Oh, uh, there's Apple Plus, Disney Plus, Peacock. The Peacock is free. Good on them. And the nice thing about Peacock is I just watch it on my laptop and I use my um, fast-forwardy thing to skip past all the commercials. Yay. Uh, yeah. That'd be kind of tough to rate them. Let's see. I can't, I can't even think of them all. What are... I just need a list of all streaming services. Go, Google. Tell me what they all are. All right. Apple Plus, Hulu, Disney Plus. Disney Plus... Um, honestly, I'm not even that big a fan of The Mandalorian. I think it's just okay. Uh, but my mom really likes it, so we're just keeping around for that. I'll be very excited when the Marvel shows start. So that'll be a pretty big deal. But on the whole, I would say Disney Plus is not... I mean, there's a couple of nice shows. Apple Plus, though, I think has, has definitely, on the whole, had more engaging, interesting stuff for me. For us. Ah, uh, jeez. Alright. Uh, of course, Netflix wins uh, just by volume because there, there's no getting around of course there'll be interesting stuff on there uh so i'd probably go with netflix and then probably apple and then probably just cable tv in general to get a fx and amc and uh, you know some of the really good uh you know direct channels there and uh, i don't know uh, uh, disney and prime tied HBO Max is nothing at the moment, but you know next year it's going to be a huge deal. And Peacock, well, I mean Peacock's just brand new. I really wanted to try Quibi, and it was such a bummer that they never actually put it on real TVs because I'm not going to watch anything on my phone. So yeah, so that's just kind of a vague, touchy feely thing. Hmm. What else? What else? I mean, I guess I, I guess I should add that I'm only talking about. Uh, from the perspective of new original shows. Uh, obviously, Disney and Hulu, and and they all have amazing catalogs of stuff. I mean, if I wanted to watch A Better Place again, I think that's on Hulu now. But I've already seen it. So I'm really judging these by first-run new shows. And I think I've been more impressed, on the whole, by Apple Plus than any of the other ones. I mean, heck, Apple has Ted Lasso. And that's enough right there to beat everybody under the sun. Uh, although, again, I don't. Th I think my Apple account has now lapsed because Ted is over and nothing else has started that's worth watching again. It's, it's very interesting. It's very different. Now, strictly speaking, of course, the best uh, 
place to spend your money is actually a YouTube premium account. Um, that if there was only one I was going to keep paying money for, it would be that. Uh, because, well, because well, I mean, obviously YouTube is entirely free, but I always felt kind of dirty using ad blockers so that uh, people who were producing all this content for me weren't actually getting anything out of it. And um, yeah, so I forget. I think it's like 16, 17 bucks to have, I think, five ad-free accounts and, you know, access to some of the original programming that YouTube does. And some of it's actually very good. I mean, that's where uh, uh, Cobra Kai started and Wayne. But, uh, oh, uh, you know what actually occurred to me? I think I said AMC is the best cable network. That was actually, I meant to say FX. FX is, you know, used to be AMC, but AMC has really kind of lost its luster over the last few years, whereas FX is just amazing. Probably FX is the single best individual channel um, today in terms of the constant, insanely high quality stuff they put out. Uh, so, but yeah, so from the perspective of rating them based on new original content, Netflix, just because of volume, then probably Apple, and then Disney has a few things that were kind of nice, but it's mostly just for the promise of all the Marvel Cinematic stuff that's coming, and, uh, and then probably Prime and Hulu, uh, and uh, something like that is, I think, how it would all break out. Or a breakdown. And, 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 and HBO Max is just going to be insane. I'll probably have a subscription for a full year just because every month there's going to be a new movie, first run, uh, you know, theatrical release that we just want to watch at home. All right, anyway, though, moving along, we're back to Dan. Dan is back, honey. He says, hey, <laughs> I sent a few political questions this month. Just wanted to say thanks for introducing me to Andrew Yang. Um, I'm learning about this guy now and listening to a few interviews. Seems like a solid American who cares and is sensible. A bit of an underdog, and I like underdogs. Could you sum up why you like this guy so much? Honey, can you sum up why you like Andrew Yang? Do you like Andrew Yang? I do like Andrew Yang. I like that he's just a plain, straight shooter, normal guy. I think that's... You get the sense that he's... Maybe this was the... uh, some of the allure of Trump four years ago was they're like, let's just do somebody who's not a politician. Let's have somebody who's not in the system. Mm-hmm. And Andrew Yang is definitely not in the system. And, but yet he has a lot of really great ideas on how to make the country better. And he's, um, yeah, thinking outside the box. And I think that's what we need. A lot of us have been working on uh, stuff that worked 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, this is, 2021. Let's move forward and and take advantage of how society is now and the things that we have available to us now. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he's very down to earth. He's, uh, you know, he, obviously he's very tech focused. Um, you know, he's a futurist. Yeah, so that's that's attractive as well. And uh, and yeah, I mean, it's you know, he is driven by empathy. Uh, you know, one hundred percent. Everything he's done yeah. is, is that. Uh, you know, it, I mean, he's giving away money right now to people. Is it in New York? Uh, is it a thousand dollars a month to? Uh, he's doing several different things, but yeah, the Humanity First is Humanity basically First, yep. his organization where they are doing. Okay, if the federal government won't do direct cash relief, look, we'll just do it. Yep. Um, and show that it works. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I, I just, I, you know, the when uh, during the I, I never heard of him. Uh, in the early days of the Democratic primaries, I was mostly folk. I was mostly pro Inslee, in part because I think he's done a great job in Washington State for the most part, and because he was his central um, uh, platform was about climate change. 
or global warming, which is still the single most existential threat to every single human being on the planet, because it's a fundamental threat to the planet, and it does eclipse every other societal ill that we face. And he was the only one who actually uh, spoke to it directly. And then when he bowed out, and I was trying, well, maybe I, I've always liked Elizabeth Warren, she's nice, and like, hey, who's this Yang guy? And when Andrew, you know, of course, his central thing being about universal basic income, which is something I believed in for years, that I've been a staunch proponent of, yep. as the inevitable, um, uh, you know, e evolution of human society, uh, because functionally... In the Western world, we do live in a post-scarcity society. There is more than enough resources for everybody, and it's about time we just start ensuring it's a basic human right to, uh, you know, to go beyond just life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. No, everybody has a basic human right to have all their basic needs met because uh, in a society where there's more than enough to go around, it's criminal not to do that. And when he, I mean, when I discovered that was his central tenet. And I'm like, oh, but still, climate change is more important. And then when he started making his arguments, yeah, the reason we can't make any forward progress on climate change is because people have too many of their own problems. They cannot you know, lift themselves up from the problems they face to actually be able to address the bigger problems. And I'm like, oh my God, that just makes so much sense. Everything he argues just makes sense. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, he, is he has a true prescription for what ails us. And he also does an amazing job of, of not uh, scapegoating or alienating um, you know, or judging anyone. Uh, you know, a sizable portion of his support in the Democratic primaries came from Republican voters who said, yeah, I will leave Trump for this guy. Otherwise, I'm just going back to Trump. That's why he actually couldn't ultimately make it because Democratic-leaning primary voters, uh, well... There were there was the Yang Media blackout and all that kind of stuff, but they you know they, they were stuck in their ways and um, the lion's share of his support they were Republicans they were literally registered Republicans and therefore did not vote in the uh, Democratic primaries. So uh, yeah, I mean I, I think he was a uniter uh, in the truest sense of the word, and I think he's just absolutely amazing. And uh, Dan, I think you were the one asking um, where to go to get more information about the world. I cannot strongly recommend to everybody to listen to uh, Yank Speaks podcast every week. Really interesting, thought-provoking discussions. Um, optimistic, mm. in, you know, in in spite of insurmountable odds. Optimistic views of how to fix the problems we face in a no-nonsense, straightforward way. Uh, I, I think he's amazing. All righty, moving along to uh, Melanie Honeypie. Besides each Are other... Are you calling her Melanie Honeypie? Melanie Honeypie says... <laughs> oops, slipped <laughs> up there. Wasn't there Honey Boo? Oh, well, first of all, before yeah. we get to that, Melanie has uh, more... Is it Yurki and Yor, uh, Yuri and Yuki, I think? Oh. Yeah, they are. Oh. Uh, Did she give permission that everybody could see this? Uh, yes. I, well, I, I, she has said so in the past, so I assume oh. it's fine. By the way, folks, uh, if this is your first time ever listening to this podcast, which is unthinkable to me, uh, if you if you send questions to questions at raw.com and you include pictures of your dog so that Jen can say, oh my gosh, I love your dog. <laughs> Please let me know if it's okay for me to post them on doggo.rado.com. G-O-G-G-O.rado.com. If anybody wants to see the latest cuteness, uh, I'll be posting those to doggo.rado.com. Alrighty, anyway though. Uh, Melanie says, besides each other, our dogs, board games, making glass, and family, what sparks joy 
in our lives, in each of our lives. Wow. Honey, what sparks your joy? <laughs> Despite, d other than all the my favorite things? It's all, other than those things. Okay, well, I like Second chickens. Second to your favorite things. Chickens. Chickens. Um, I, I enjoy looking at handmade work. So, you know, since COVID, that's mainly meant looking around on people's websites. Um, that... I just I just love that people are out there making stuff and and fulfilling their creative urges. I think that's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, what else sparks joy? Gosh, good food. I think I'm not a like a fancy food person, but I do enjoy knowing what I'm putting into my body is is the best I can do. Um, so that, that brings me a lot of joy. I like to cook. I don't do anything fancy, but I enjoy cooking. Um, what else? I think just learning in general. Um, one of the things I've been learning about is menopause, <clears throat> mm -hmm. which probably 50% of you don't care about. <laughs> but um, yeah, so why, why is this going on and what can I do about it? That, that's something that I've been trying some different herbs and things like that. So I guess, you know, there's a, there's the hope that springs eternal there. Um, I don't know what you say some stuff. Um, I don't think my joy list is as long as yours because I'm a simple creature. Uh, I mean, obviously TV shows and movies and uh, just basically forms of entertainment. I don't particularly enjoy cooking. In fact, I hate cooking. I mean, I like food. I'm not super crazy about it, though. I mean, I do really love ice cream. Ice cream, though, definitely. <laughs> uh, specifically, as a subset of food. Not food in general, but ice cream very specifically. I mean, I, I absolutely love uh, in all its various forms. Eh, I don't know. I got a pretty short list, I think. You're easy to keep happy. Yeah, I've, I've got everything I need, I think. Honey pie. Yeah. What was your favorite pie that you ate for dessert at Thanksgiving? Well, there was only one pie, so that would be it. And you were disappointed by it, as I recall, weren't you? No, it was the, it was the Marie Callender's apple pie. Oh, that's right. Yes. Oh, that's right. Because you'd also gotten a Costco pumpkin pie, but then it turns out you and mom were both unhappy with it. Yeah. I mean, I remember last year, Costco's pumpkin pies were like, oh, to die for. And so I got one in October, I think. Yes, with something. the intent of saving it for Thanksgiving, but then we went ahead and had it early for some reason. Well, I don't think we were planning on saving it for Thanksgiving. I think oh. we were just giving it a, you know, making sure that it was still okay to eat. Okay. You know, that they hadn't screwed up the recipe or whatever. But yeah, it wasn't, it was not as good, anywhere near as good. So we skipped Costco pies altogether this year and just had a Marie Callender's apple pie. Which was fantastic. Yep. Definitely. But um, I went to the store, what was it, on Friday? <laughs> had to get out and restock our stuff. Anyway, I bought us an apple pie that's made by some local company that was in the Safeway freezer instead of an Emory Calendars. I thought, let's let's support All the right. local somebody's. Sounds good. Although so, at this point, Marie Calendars pretty much just a. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they, they are so reduced from their former greatness. Yeah. Alrighty, honey. Anyway, that's our Christmas pie. We're yeah. not having it until Christmas. Okay. In your kitchen cabinets, are yeah. your glasses upside down or right side up? Glasses or mugs? She said glasses. Glasses are right side up. Mugs? Um, quite often they're upside down. Why one versus the other? Uh, well, I guess because I have a lot of mugs mm -hmm. and I don't use them. You know, I'll, I'll use the same mug for, I don't know, a month or something and then I switch to a different mug. Not that I don't wash it for the month. I'm just saying I just sort of have a favorite mug for a while and then I switch to a different mug. And so I don't want all the dust and... If there's any bugs or whatever collecting in the bottoms of my mugs. But why do you want that in glasses? Glasses get used a lot more frequently. And you don't use a glass for 
You, you wouldn't don't use a glass th- for anything. Ever, the only thing you drink is hot tea. All you drink is mug stuff. That's true. But I did remember I bought those three purple glasses the other day at the thrift store. Yes. And you said, oh my gosh, there they are. Because yep, yep. they're the same is ones it? we have in our attic in England. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. It was nice to see them. Yeah. Um, have you used and those? And those are up or down? Those are up. Mm. Yeah. Because they're glasses. All right. I don't know why uh, Melanie wanted to know that, but now she knows. Okay. Okay. Uh, Anthony has heard a bit of Jen dabbling in good tea and just wanted to pass on his Ooh. highest recommendation yes. after having tried several sites oh, good. when he got into tea about a decade ago. I'm so glad somebody's giving me some stuff exactly. back Exactly. Yes, let's hear it. Anthony's recommendation is the website Culinary Teas. Oh, This place has a truly massive selection of pretty much every flavor and type of tea in the book. Very frequently have options for sample sizes, bag teas, and loose bags of varying quantities. He was reminded because they sent him an email about their Black Friday promotion, Xmas 2020, at checkout for a flat 20% off. Oh no! It's probably Ah. too late now though. Black Friday's come and gone. Yeah, but they, they like you to buy anyway. I know you've got plenty of sample sets and such, but if nothing else... Uh, starting from, say, black tea or herbal tea is a great way to browse. And they're typically great about telling you all the ingredients in the tea in case there's certain ones that Jen looks for or avoids. Okay, cool. I'll check it out. Thank there you. There are no questions there. It's tea talk. Tea talk. All right. Tea-rific. Do you have, will you return the favor? What's your favorite tea website? Oh, at the moment it's Harney and Sons. Harney and Sons? Yeah, but I've already, everybody has already heard me talk about that. Okay. In fact, I'm drinking a new Harney and Sons tea as we speak. They've it's got... her favorite tea of all time. She can't no, stop. No, it's not my favorite of all time, oh. but it's very good. It's called, what was it, Ginger Extravaganza or mm-hmm. something? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's really nice. It smells exactly like ginger cookies. It's so good. Ginger snaps. Oh, oh. Doesn't it have apple in it? No, that was the apple spice one that I also That had. was the one you were insane for. That was really good, too. Yeah. That one I didn't have to put any sugar. Was that also Harney and Sons? Yes. Yes. And that one didn't need any sugar. Yep. It was so naturally sweet. that should be the sweet. only one you drink. Well, I've got lots of things. Okay, Honey Pie. Yes. Matthias points out that according to Jennifer.net, you still live in Malta. Do I? Enjoying the beautiful Mediterranean Sea and gorgeous <laughs> sunsets. I should probably update my website. Yes, because we no longer <laughs> live there or enjoy those things. <laughs> Oops. He also mentioned the aesthetics of your glass tends to capture the beauty of the Maltese seascapes. Mm. So, thanks, uh, Matt, for pointing out that the website <laughs> needs to be updated. We moved away from Malta almost, or maybe over two years ago now. Yeah, over two years ago. Uh, honey, do you leave this romantic description like this on purpose? I think the answer is no. <laughs> Jen is very uh, embarrassed that she forgot all about this. Due to negligence. Uh, in the hope that you'll return one day. Oh, no. Yeah, so he knows that this is out of date. So, did you do this on purpose in the hope you return one day, or that you like to still imagine yourself in Malta once you enter your studio? Ah, uh, no, sounds uh, no. like it was just complete and total oversight. No, I mean, I it seems like I'm just constantly updating everything, but apparently, yeah, I do probably need. I think it's because I'm blogging and I'm updating my Etsy site, and I'm now on Instagram, and uh, it just feels like I'm doing tons of stuff. But obviously, I can do better. Yeah. So, what are you going to change your? Oh, I don't know. I have to think about... Do you draw inspiration from the beautiful tree lines of the Pacific Northwest? Does that work its way into your art? I think mountains. The mountains? But honestly, I've been so focused on silver glass, which has nothing to do with any of it, Mm -hmm. um, that I don't know that I can really say... So you're going to update to say, it doesn't matter where I live. My stuff is great. Buy it. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'll just put it that succinctly. There you go. <laughs> did you move, honey, to the current location in America? Did did our move equally impact your creation or the inspiration as Malta once did, in a positive or negative way? Um, First of all, I'm going to back up and say, did Malta really inspire you that way, or was that colorful language for the website? No, it did. It 100% I think, did. Yeah, looking at that beautiful blue Mediterranean sea every day, uh, that... I mean, if you look at some of my pieces from back then, it's all over the place. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, I even had some pieces that I incorporated the sand from Schwaney Bay mm-hmm. in. So, um, what was the question? The question is, uh, did the move to our current location in America impact your creation and inspiration as Malta once did, mm-hmm. positively or negatively? I am going to say, rather than the specific landscape inspiring, I'm going to say the ease of getting everything I might ever possibly want to play with has mm-hmm. influenced <laughs> my style at this point. So you're saying if we were still in Malta, you would not be, your whole thing wouldn't be about silver glass now because it was harder to get? Yeah, it was just difficult. It was expensive. Malta is just kind of the ass end of nowhere, unfortunately. So yeah, it was hard to get. Um, but now I've got, I have got... So much glass. Uh, it's like there's been a virus exploded in my studio mm-hmm. and the glass has proliferated. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a little scary. I'm having to rearrange my whole studio because I, I'm afraid that my glass is too heavy for the floor. <laughs> the floorboard. It's a yeah. floor above the garage. Yeah. yeah. So I've had to move stuff out of the way. And, and after the Christmas rush, I think I'll actually... Um, totally reconfigure my studio. So all the glasses against a wall over several... Balance the load. Yeah, what are those joists? Yeah, it can be spread out over several joists and stuff like that. Yeah, oops, I have gone a little bit crazy. A little bit. I have reinvested in my business. There I mean, you go. That's yes, it. that's it's all tax That's deductible. just smart business sense. Yeah. So, but there's nothing about the landscape of the Pacific Northwest that has brought you new inspirations in the same way that the Mediterranean once did. It's okay to say no. Yeah, um, I'm just trying to think... Of if that is actually true, it has have the trees and the mountains and everything. As that's very different than where we were before. Yeah, I know. I'm just trying to think of what I've actually made over the last two years, and can you point to things that say, "Oh yeah, that's obviously that's that's Washington." Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't think I've really done land scene pendants since I got here. So, okay. and that would have been the easiest, you know, the way that I would have been. Um, kind of letting that out. So it's not that I'm not inspired. I think it's just that I've been really f- focused on learning new skills and this new glass. It's um, a completely different glass than bullseye. And I've just really been focused on that since we moved here, basically. And so learning how to use it and what the colors do and all that. Okay. And then the last question, although we kind of addressed it a little bit, is, or from Matt whoops, where to go, was how would you rewrite your beautiful introduction based on the current situation? Well, you'll just have to wait and see, won't you? All right. Then that's just totally ducking the question. Well, I don't know. Go. I have to go do it. Yep. All right. Well. Um, but thank you for asking and, and prompting me, and I will do something about that. Yeah. All righty. Now we move on to Dan number two. Different Dan. Okay. Dan the other man. <laughs> Honey. What board game t-shirt words of wisdom sign would you wear? As an example, Dan came up with one. Dummy players in two-player games are not dummies. I don't know, Dan. That's tough. 
what words of wisdom can you derive in a slogany kind of way based on or inspired by board games? Uh, something about efficiency, I suppose. Um, mm. You know, bird in the hand, two in the bush. Meeple in the hand, two in the bush. Something like that. Yeah. Or, you know, a, a, meeple, a, a meeple in the hand is, is worth two in the supply. <laughs> There you go. I think you've nailed it, anybody. I do believe that. I am much more about in the moment. Yep. I mean, Jen is uh, not. I'm not. Yep. yep. Jen is all about the two in the supply that you can get later. <laughs> as opposed to the one you've got right now. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's, I'm actually really happy with that. Um, I don't know. TM Brado. Yeah. Or, I mean, if not a meeple, a cube. A cube in hand is worth two in the supply as well. That's probably a little bit more Euro-y than meeple. Yeah. That's um, cute. Yeah, I, 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 I could totally see that. Just, you know, you know, your hand open with one yeah. little cube in it and then a whole bunch of cubes over to the side. Yep. All right, there we go. I, I, I think I've nailed it, although you folks will have to let me know. <laughs> um, you got one, Honey Pie, or can you not follow that greatness? Uh, there's no way I can follow that greatness. All righty, then let's move on to pop culture. Have you watched The Boys, which is on Amazon Prime as a tie-in to the other question? Uh, and if so... How did you find the political messaging of the second season? Uh, yes, I have watched The Boys. Although, uh, for full disclosure, I have read the entirety of The Boys in the original comic form. So, you know, there's always the, oh, it was so much better in the original. But putting all that aside, I think it's pretty it's pretty well done. I'll be honest, The Boys doesn't quite gener, or it doesn't engender 100% attention which is pretty much how I rate shows. Do I have to give it 100% or 75% or 50% or 25% or 0% uh, is is how good a show is. And I would say Boys is maybe around 50%. I did really appreciate the uh, the messaging of, of, of Homelander and... Uh, oh, God, I can't think of her name. Stormfront's relationship and how it relates... Or how it's obviously a direct commentary on our times. And I did think that was actually... I, I thought actually that was probably the coolest thing. Uh, because, man, Stormfront has changed a lot from the comic. And I think they're doing really... I think they did really clever and interesting things with her. And her relationships with others as stand-ins. Yeah. So. Uh, when are we going to give Farscape a try? Uh, I'm sorry, man. They, probably never. There is too much new stuff coming out all the time. If Farscape gets some kind of additional, whatever, eighth season, then maybe that'd be reason enough to go back and watch the first seven, or four, or whatever, I don't know how many. But nope, there's too much stuff to watch at any given time. No time to go back. If we didn't catch it the first time around, we're not going to catch it now. Um, let's see. Dan also wanted to debate about Marty McFly. This was the other one. Um, <laughs> but decided to stick to positive questions. Hopefully, Dan, I addressed your Marty McFly. Again, I was speaking only about the original film, which was a standalone film, one of the most popular, well-loved uh, pop culture films of all time, and it features no character arc for the lead protagonist. And yet, in spite of that, uh, it is deemed to be a classic. And if that's the case, maybe um, character arcs aren't all they're cracked up to be. They're fine, they're valuable, uh, but they are not the end-all, be-all. And a film doesn't fail if it decides not to do one. All right. That was a short one. Normally, Dan hits hard. He took it easy this month. Maybe it was his Christmas present to us. Mm. Thanks, and I hope happy holidays to you, Dan. And everyone, of course. Okay. Moving right along. I think Jen's going to have to uh, uh, tune out for a bit because Fabian entitled this email Video Game Related Questions. So... After some of the board game piracy-related questions recently, here's the follow-ups <clears throat> that Fabe, Fabian has. 
<clears throat> the digital archival of video games. Do I support the idea that video games should be digitally archived so they don't disappear once all CDs and cartridges are broken or lost? Yes, I do. Uh, question, do you think preserving history in this way justifies circumventing copy protection? Yes, I do. I think it's 100% fine. The thing is, the majority of these old classics, the companies are long gone. And um, you know, I think in a perfect world, that archival activity should be done with the consent of the creators wherever possible. But of course, the early days of video games, the creators were very rarely champion, and it's kind of hard to know who did what. So just get them saved. Do not let them disappear. I love the fact that there are websites I can go on and play probably every Atari 2600 game from my childhood at any time I want, and I do think that is worthy because these digital assets can disappear over time, and there's just no reason not to. Although... Like I mentioned with the tabletop um, stuff that's been asked about in recent episodes, it ideally should still be done with the involvement of the original creatives wherever possible. Uh, if nothing else, you know, credit where credit is due type situation. So uh, that's, that's my feeling about that. Emulation. Since original video game consoles and arcade machines also usually don't get produced indefinitely, it can be difficult to play an old game, since you'd also have to find a working machine for it. Where do you stand when it comes to emulating devices or operating systems to able to experience some of the games of times past? And the exact same thing. I, I think that kind of emulation stuff is phenomenal, and it should be done because I, 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 don't, I don't want these things to disappear. And I think it is uh, well worth it. I think... If the owners, you know, either the, the actual franchise owners or if not the owners and the creators, if they were to step forward and say, no, I don't want this to be done, I want it to disappear, then I would, add, I would you know, um, demure to artist intent, but I don't think anybody wants that. So I think it's a great, great thing. Um, and I don't think it's in any way, shape, or form applicable to Tabletop Simulator. Uh, because those are physical objects that will stand the test. I mean, again, I have no problem. I need, feel I need to repeat this, because people seem to get the wrong end of the stick. I'm totally fine with digital implementations of board games. Provided that the companies that exist right now, and are actually incorporated and in business... And every day, um, all you have to do is just consult with them and say, Hey, could I get the green... Can I get the thumbs up for this? And chances are they'll give you the thumbs up. And if they don't, then you shouldn't do it. Because you should respect the original creator's intent. And I would say the same thing is true for digital archival as well. Digital game, digital game archives. How about a period of time... What is the period of time which would be, uh, be legal... Legally in the, should be legally in the clear to distribute emulation software. Do you think it would encourage companies to sporadically release new means of accessing old games, official emulators? That's a good question. Um, honestly, I don't know. I genuinely have no idea what the legality is of creating a platform for emulation. But, again, what we're talking about here is stuff where the, all the companies have curled up and died. And, you know, scattered to the seven winds. Should, I mean, here's the deal. If I wanted a emulation of, what was it? Um, I forget, uh, you know, the old PC Archon by uh, Ford and Ricci, two of my, my biggest heroes in video game development history. Fred Ford and Paul Ricci. 
uh, and Archon is probably something I could go out and find an emulator right now. I would hope whoever was responsible for that reached out to Ford and Ricci and said, oh my gosh, guys, I'm the biggest fan. This was such an important game for me in my earlier days. Uh, I hope you don't mind. Here's how I'm re 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 releasing it now. Uh, can I get your blessing? And if they'd done that, I am sure Ford and Ricci would say, oh my gosh, thank you for helping keep our legacy alive. That's fantastic. And that's the way it should go. And, uh, you know, I, that is what I am more concerned with than the actual legalities of, and litigation surrounding, you know, uh, public, uh, what's it called, you know, when, or public domain issues and stuff like that. I So I, I honestly, I couldn't say. I'm less interested in that. I'm more interested in just adhering to the wishes of the creators. And I'd be willing to bet the creators would wish for those things not to disappear. Remakes and remasters are an official alternative that has seen some promising entries lately. Lately, for Siphon Filter, would I rather it get remastered, uh, keep the old gameplay, update primary graphics and controls, or full-fledged remake, change difficulty, story more? Uh, would I join such a project in any capacity? Well, I wouldn't need to join for a remaster, I don't think. But the thing is, I don't think a remaster of the original Siphon Filter would make much sense because game design has moved on. I mean, if for no other reason, I mean, the controls of Siphon Filter should be redone from scratch. Even if you were to do a remaster, I mean, I guess you could re replicate our old tank controls, but you should also include dual stick, dual stick alternatives. Um, and, uh, and honestly, I mean, heck, I can still play Siphon Filter 1, 2, and 3, I think, on my PlayStation 3 right now, so it's not that far in the rearview mirror. It is still readily available. Although that, like I said, that will change over time. I... If there were to be... I mean, honestly, I would rather have a, a Siphon Filter sequel. I would much rather that than a Greatest Hits. Hey, look, we brought Siphon Filter 1, 2, and 3, and we either remastered it or remade it. That's less interesting to me than... No, continue. I want to see more stories of game. I want to see how he survived that cliffhanger ending. Um, if he did, in fact, and all. I mean, I think that's better. I think that's more engaging. Um, I, I thought the, the Ghostbusters reboot was fine. I would have much rather... The uh, the gals in that movie live in a world where back in the early '80s, Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray and Harold Ramis and and uh, Ernie Hudson and all the rest of it, you know, got together and and fought ghosts, busted ghosts. I I, I prefer continuation over reimplementation, which is the third option that you didn't list. Alrighty. The perishable nature of modern games. With ever more changing online games, the fact that someday the servers will be shut down and the game will no longer be playable makes it so that games can permanently disappear. Would you be willing to develop such a game knowing that in 30 years your creation would not be accessible for anyone anymore? I'm not really that bothered. I mean, you know, interestingly, even if the games themselves disappear, these days they'll truly never disappear because there will be hundreds or thousands of hours of it to watch on YouTube. So future generations, even if they can't play it hands-on, can still appreciate what they what was done and you know the important steps that were made in the overall evolution of the art form. I think that's actually a really great uh, equalizer in that regard. And honestly, I, I you know how many? Uh, I mean, you're mostly talking about MMOs. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Don't I mean I can play Asheron's Call right now because fans have made their own ongoing uh, hosting of it after the fact. I think that's not at all uncommon. I'm not sure, but I think that's the case, and I I certainly support that. I think that's great. I I, I believe the same thing is true for Ultima Online that you could still play that right now today, in spite of the fact that you know uh, Origins went out of business long ago and Richard Garriott flew off to the moon, and so I don't I don't think it's necessarily a problem. 
I think I, I certainly anything that comes out these days is effectively going to be timeless anyway. All right. Thank you for always for the podcast. All right. Okay. Cool. Cool. All right, honey, we're done with Fabian's video game question, so you got to come back. She's over in the corner stretching at the moment. <laughs> All righty. Hello, Richard. Hello, Jen. Hello. On a previous podcast, Mario asked about Lookout and Cosmos 2 player games. What do you? What are your thoughts about their highs and lows? Oh, oh hey, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Scratch all that. That's the game section. I'll be doing that later because, once again, I'm doing everything out of order. Let's move down to the non-game questions. All right. Honey, at the end of our live play of Castles of Tuscany, you made a reference where you fixed a dryer like 40 years ago. <laughs> I'm not both, that old. It was maybe 30 years do, ago. Do both <laughs> or either of us consider ourselves handy people for this kind of stuff? Do you usually take apart stuff not working to see if you can fix it? On your own. Yes, I'm always taking stuff apart. Okay. So, um, yes, I definitely consider myself a handy person. I do not. Um, not that I could. I mean, I could do it. I'm, I'm per- perfectly confident in my ability to do it. I just have zero interest in doing it. Um, I view money as a means to avoid having to do things I don't want to do, as opposed to do the things I don't want to do so I can hold on to the money. Uh, that kind of defeats the purpose of money to me. Yeah, but if you get satisfaction out of doing it yourself, then... I derive no satisfaction from such things. All righty. Well, but you just helped me with a whole bunch of chicken stuff, remember? What do you mean? Putting in the nest box and all that. You had no satisfaction from... Um, uh, I suppose. Not enough to warrant it, though. Not enough to warrant the work. Hmm. All right. I mean, I, I, I won't deny that it exists, but it's, it's not something that drives me. Kirk says... Uh, all right. In my roundup, as many times before, I made reference to the movie Groundhog Day in discussing our favorite mechanism of time stories. Kirk was wondering if we've seen the German film Lola Rent, or Run Lola Run, as it was released in English. It makes use of the mechanism, the, you know, the re-looping yeah. the Groundhog Day thing, in a way that sounds uh, much more similar to the gameplay of time stories. Perhaps it was even the movie that inspired time stories. Um... It wasn't French. It was German, I think, right? Yeah, I think, yeah. um. All right. Note, I have not played Time Stories. In any case, I was curious what your thoughts are of the film. And uh, if you haven't seen it, you may want to check it out. Bonus recommendation, if you like it, you should check out Der Krieger und die Kaisern. Uh, Kaisern. Uh, the superior film by the same director. Uh, Yes, I'm sure we both saw it. I I remember seeing it. I remember loving it uh, back in the 90s. It must have been. Yeah, it was when we were in our 20s. I don't remember. It sounds familiar, but I... It was about a very red-haired, red-haired, redhead girl, not girl, young woman, whose boyfriend got into trouble, something with the mob or something. Yeah. And she got a phone call saying, I'm in trouble. Come and do a thing. And then she just hangs up the phone and screams, if I recall correctly. I don't remember. She screams at some point in the movie, but then the whole movie is her running. Just running. Run, Lola, run. And she runs to try to do whatever she needs to do to save her boyfriend. Whose name was Manny, I think, because I remember, I can hear her saying with her German accent, Manny! Um, <laughs> but the thing was, she would try really hard, and then, spoiler alert for a 20 year old movie, she would get killed. And then she'd just wake back up, and the oh. phone call would come again, huh? and she would try a different way because she had memory from what happened. And if I recall correctly, there was never an explanation of what was happening. I mean, at no point, I don't even think she ever said, wow, this is really weird. She's just like, okay, well, I gotta try and save him again. Yep, here we are again. And it took her three or four tries until the movie was over. And I uh, won't say whether she succeeded or not. But it was just, um, yeah, 
It was a really iconic film. It was a it was a big deal. I mean, it's it so much so that Jen kind of vaguely remembers it. What was that one that we just watched? Well, it was just. Um, I, I won't say because the movie makes a big deal of not not actually revealing any of that, so you can be surprised. So um, never mind. I won't. I will not say. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Though. Yes. Yeah, I know. I know exactly. And you went in knowing, having no idea what was going to happen. Yeah. So I'm not going to say the name of it, so that if people stumble across it, they won't think they won't realize going in that it's a Groundhog Day movie. How are how are people who want to watch this movie supposed to know? Hopefully they find it on their own. <laughs> Someone um, else will spoil the secret. Exactly, yes. Okay. Uh, let's see, what was I going to say? Yeah, um, I, I very dimly recall it, but I do remember liking it quite a bit. And if I recall correctly, it had a really awesome soundtrack that was... I, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know. I'd have to look at the timing. I think it came out before Siphon Filter came out. And I think it came out when we were working on Siphon Filter. And I wouldn't be surprised if the musical soundtrack of that inspired the music of Siphon Filter. Because they had a very, very similar vibe, if I recall correctly. Could be a coincidence, I don't know. But yeah, it was amazing. It was well, a, a, I mean, it just talking about it makes me want to watch it again. Because I have not seen it since it was in theaters. Yeah, well. Uh, in the, whenever, the mid-90s, I, I assume. It's probably on Netflix. Many! Uh, all right. Are you, are you right? Actually, oh, that's a good question. Two... Um, just watch.us. Let's look it up. My favorite website. Uh, run, Lola, run. Where is it streaming? It is streaming. It was a 98 film. That's about right. Yeah, Seinfeld came out in 99. And it's available on Amazon and a bunch of different ones. Apple TV. It's not streaming. Got to pay. But only three bucks. That would be worth it to watch again. Yeah, it was a great movie. That, uh, that's Lola. That's Manny. <laughs> Are you sure it's Manny? Manny! Okay. She, she has very red hair. She certainly does. Yes. She probably inspired you to want red hair. Uh, no, you, you've wanted red wasn't hair. There, wasn't Scarlett Johansson a redhead in one of her various movies? Uh, Scarlett Johansson was a redhead in a lot of the Marvel movies, yes. As uh, Black Widow. That's probably what you're thinking of. No. Anyway. Um, that's it from Kirk, the corset maker. See? I don't know what that means. How could you do the platinum rule when you can't even know which movie I'm thinking of? <laughs> Indeed, it is. Alrighty. Alejandro says that I have been asked several times how COVID has affected, I guess we've been asked how COVID has affected our daily lifestyle, and we've answered that it really hasn't. Alejandro is curious to know, from a board game reviewer perspective, what has been the most positive change in lieu of COVID, and what has been the most negative or detrimental? I assume, does he still mean for us? Or just in general? I don't know. I mean... I don't know. I don't understand in lieu of. Yeah, I don't know what he means in lieu of either. Uh, I mean, I, he means from my perspective. As a board game... Regarding. So he might mean personally. Okay. Yeah. For me, for, my, for the Rod Orenshaw show, what has been the problem with uh, COVID? The biggest problem, and I would say uh. this is true for both of us, is game conventions. Yep. Is that what you were going to say? Yep. Uh, because we would have just only a week ago or so gotten back from Board Game Geek Convention in Dallas... Uh, which is in the last week of November, and Jen would have sold half a year's worth of glass over the space of three days. Yep. And I would have gotten all, all the games that have not shown up yet that I desperately want to cover this month and probably won't show up ever, maybe. I would have copies. I would have copies of Hallertau and um, you know, Anno 1800 and a bunch of other games that maybe they'll show up in the mail. And I really relied on going to conventions to pick those up. Essen, when we were in Malta, yeah. and Board Game Geek Con, now that we've been living here. And you know, just so I can sit down and talk to the publishers. So that's really kind of a bummer. That's definitely the biggest detriment for us. 
Yep. Is there any upside from a professional perspective due to COVID? I don't think, not for us, really. We're alive. Yeah, but I mean, but we've already talked about how it hasn't really affected our personal lives. So he's asking our professional lives. Has there been any upside? I don't think so. I can't think. I can't, sorry, I cannot put a positive spin on it. It's no. mostly I all bad. I actually know bad. some lamp workers who have made COVID-inspired oh, pieces. Really? Yeah, so I would say. How do you, you feel know, about that? Um. Well, life is art, isn't it? So, yeah, okay. I, I I respect that they've done it and everything. Um, I've actually thought about making some things with masks on them, like some googlies wearing masks or some um, witwat make wearing masks to kind of. Oh, to place that's pretty cool. The piece I don't I don't want to do virus particularly, but I like that that there are things that humans well, can probably, do. Well, it's probably you actually have a line of virus pieces specifically for pandemic. That's true. Yeah, but that was long before COVID. Um, yeah, so I've been thinking about doing something like that, but I don't know. I just I kind of almost it feels like profiting off of yeah disaster, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's why I haven't done anything. But it would be with a message. Wear your mask. Yes. I mean, I, I, I think that's, I don't think that's a bad idea at all. I, I think, I mean, I would support it if you were to do it. Would you play with one of them on your... I, I, I probably would, on yes. On a demo? Okay. All righty. We'll see. Um, let's see. And then the final question, good old Henrik is back wondering, Honey Pie, what's your wisdom of the month? Oh. I did look up one while we were talking about... While I was blathering on about video games, <laughs> something, probably, yeah. or something. Okay, and I thought this was great. So, um, all right, this is a quote hey. by Neil Gaiman. Yep. And I think it's a nice kind of end of year thing. And so, it's a long one. It's a long get one. Get comfortable, folks. So get your cup of tea and settle in. Um, and I believe uh, it's pronounced Neil Gaiman, by the way. Is he it? He's a famous comic book author. Oh, I thought it was Gaiman, but it could be. I'm, I'm, I've always heard it as Gaiman. It's Neil G A I M A N. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. I hope that in this year to come, you make mistakes. Because if you're making mistakes, then you're making new things, trying new things, learning, living, pushing yourself, changing yourself, changing your world. You're doing things you've never done before. And more importantly, you're doing something. So that's my wish for you and all of us and my wish for myself. Make new mistakes. Make glorious, amazing mistakes. Make mistakes nobody's ever made before. Don't freeze. Don't stop. Don't worry that it isn't good enough or it isn't perfect. Whatever it is, art, love, or work, or family, or life. Whatever it is you're scared of doing, do it. Wow, that's a good one. Now, if only we knew how to pronounce his last name. (laughs) But Jen's going to let that speak for herself, and I think she's getting a little teary-eyed about it. It's good stuff. Yep, yep. Good stuff. Yeah, I agree. And uh, and for folks who want to know, I just did a search. There is a YouTube video with Neil Gaiman himself, How to Pronounce Neil Gaiman. Let's hear by it. By Neil Gaiman. Can we do that? Is there or any... Diamond. All right. It's two hours long, though. First off, just because I know some people watch the video. Here it comes. He goes on and talks about this for like three minutes. Okay. It's Gaiman. It's Neil Gaiman. Gaiman. Okay, well then fine. All right, I win. You win. Although you won with the best quote. And it was Neil's quote. He yep, won. Yep, that was another uh, episode of Rawa Talks Through. We're all done. And as always, folks, in closing, please send more questions at questions at Um 
And Jen's kind of bummed that there weren't very many uh, puppy pics this month. Oh, dear. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, if you would like, send my, some more my of My sister has gotten two, two puppies. That's so true. So, I've been getting lots of puppy pictures that way. So, right. maybe the universe knows the balance is okay. Sounds good. Sounds okay. good. Yep. Uh, but, otherwise, have a very nice day. Happy holidays. And uh, here's hoping 2021 turns it all around. Yes. All right, everybody. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye.